Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Watch House of the Dragon Series 1, Episode 9, The Green Council. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. This is a very monumental episode. It sets the plot going. Everything has been leading up to this moment. Yeah, it's funny because it's the first episode I have minor complaints about. Interesting, interesting. All right. And uh, do you want to tell them now or do you want to say them later? The most major of my minor complaints that I really want to get off my chest. I mean, this is like, look, I would never say anything bad about Ryan Condal. I've been burnt before with showrunners, but I would never say anything bad about this man. Ah, burnt. Oh, God. Larry's no. Oh, oh, oh God. You were thinking dragons, but all right. There have been no dick jokes about Jasper Wilde, and if you have not read the books, you might not understand what that means yet. That's okay. We'll tell you if you're sticking around for our All Spoilers podcast after the cut. All Spoilers, yes, that's right. Eliana, what does All Spoilers mean when you're a listener at Girls Gone Canon? Yeah, that means that nothing is safe. Nothing that you love is safe, but mostly if you don't want to know what is going to happen in House of the Dragon in terms of those loose broad lines, the big, big plot points of some certain characters and how things will go, just please, please, uh, we have enjoyed your company and we'll see you another time. But we are going to discuss this show in the context of the entirety of Fire and Blood Volume 1, because Volume 2 is not out, uh, the main series of the A Song of Ice and Fire 5 books, Dunkin' Egg, maybe, probably not, I don't know, it could happen, uh, The World of Ice and Fire, and, I don't know, maybe the Winds of Winter chapters, but also unlikely. Yeah, might come up, might not. Uh, we can't be trusted, is really what we're saying. So, head out, we can't wait to let you hear it later on. And let's jump back in. So yeah, there have been zero dick jokes about Iron Rod. And I really, I know this seems, like it's between this and Helena didn't get a crown. These yeah. are my two biggest complaints. Wait, that's right. Yeah. I'm pissed. Upset about that. She didn't get crowned at all. That's my queen. I mean, I hate Aegon. He can fuck off and die. But, and per Viserys, even though they're usurping, changing the whole succession of the throne again, like per Viserys regardless of gender, should inherit next. So go through the kids if they live. And then if not, I mean, Helena, hello. That's actually a great hello. point. Yeah, because like, Eamon's out here saying, you know, I guess he would just wed Helena. But I'm like, yeah, chill. Your dad was all like, regardless of gender. Lots to talk about with Eamon in this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, lots to talk about. Well, before we jump all the way in, a couple pieces of housekeeping up top. Patrons over at patreon.com slash girls gone canon C-A-N-O-N in the stranger tier $5 tier and up get bonus episodes every month over at the girls gone canon Patreon. You have access to a back catalog of over 50 episodes, bonus episodes of A Song of Ice and Fire and other series that we cover like His Dark Materials or other books we like. Last couple months we've done Mothers of the Dragon parts one and two or MILFs of the Dragon. I can't wait to return to that sometime, and we will be announcing shortly in the next week or two our Patreon episode for this month, so keep your ears peeled. And that's not the only thing we do for our Patreon members. It is not the only thing that we do. We 
also offer a lot of live fun activities. For example, once a month we do a brunch slash happy hour where we all get on a Discord voice or video channel and hang out. This month we're gonna actually do it in a week, right? Like it's going to be available for patrons in the Thunder tier and above, $10 and above, you get access to the Discord and can join on Sunday, October 23rd, right before the season finale at 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, we're holding Brunch Slash Happy Hour. Yeah, I'm really excited because we've been working on some cool oh, that's things right. yeah. for that brunch, some reindeer games, as you would call them. Should we call them something else right now? I guess they're like pumpkin games for Halloween. Yeah. No, reindeer games. That works for me. Uh, so reindeer games. I guess reindeer games does work for next week, right? With Storm's End. Oh, God. Oh, God. There is the theory. The games are death. Yeah. And our good friend Maddie is hosting weekly House of the Dragon episode discussions every Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. ET. Uh, the final two will be this coming Friday and then the Friday to follow. So come on by if you're in that thunder tier and above or wish to join yeah house of the dragons like a great time right i think they're doing a wonderful job they made a lot of really fun creative decisions and i understand you know like why they want to buck against the trend that game of thrones is set but as you said could be some iron rod jokes there but oh my god uh, let- he has one episode to do it one are they I, are they even gonna show him next episode I don't care if there's no Iron Rod dick joke from anyone. I'm quitting the show. Oh, okay. I won't watch season two. Alana. All right. Interesting. interesting. This is serious. You know, people are making a lot of these kind of serious accusations, so I really wanted to get it on it. Okay. I'm not watching season two. Oh, yeah? Me either. Double down. Iron Rod. Uh, no, there are a few complaints I have. I do have a few complaints, but I don't know. I'm not. They aren't like real complaints right like it's just a good time just having a good time just vibing with dragons yeah i don't think you and i have like any big complaints in regards to the direction and by direction i Mm -hmm. don't mean structure directing like directorship i i mean like the direction like where the show is going and how they're approaching the story i think um they've done a lot of really really strong choices that have added to the storytelling oh i don't even mean that pun but they've done like a lot of a strong choices that have really really been good for making a compelling character-driven story and creating that sense of, as we've discussed before, tragedy and yeah. Yeah. If anything, it's structure, all structure. And I don't know, I would have liked to see a little more emphasis placed on different parts. I think there was too much emphasis spent on some of the parts, but I also think it was a lot of building up for future seasons. We have a lot of tragedies to come that need to mean something, right? So like yeah. Eric and Eric, Aww. as they pronounce it, sorry. Eric and Arik. When I say Arik, I'm talking about the A one. When I say Eric, I'm talking about the E one, right? So everyone keep that in mind. But um, that, that's going to be really sad, and they're trying to build that up, and they don't have a lot of time to do so. So I get that. I do. I also think that their names pronounced with like English accents are way more confusing than when we say Eric and Arik with like American accents way more Arik. yeah very difficult very difficult subtitles are a blessing. i also cannot tell Holy like shit. when i look at their faces i have to like look really closely i'm like which way is the mustache pointing and i cannot always tell especially from afar mm-hmm. it got a little disgruntled at parts which is the point yeah i'm sure that's the message the symbolism <laughs> but anyway sure it's all symbols it's all symbols from here 
Well, there are a lot of symbols at the top of the episode, though, right? We had a new intro, and I was excited. I literally stayed up in my bed looking at it, which is kind of probably a lame thing to admit, but we also are all listening to me talk about A Song of Ice and Fire on this podcast. So, nerds, um, Rhaenyra and Damon's bloodlines take a back seat this week. We don't see them until the very end. Uh, they appear at the end in the background, and then we actually get to see Aegon III and Viserys. But for the first time, we get a close-up on Alicent Hightower's symbol, which is actually a seven-pointed star topping the Hightower with a flame on it. It was very neat up close. I had to zoom in on my projector and get all in there, but my god, I did it. That's interesting. Yeah, the flame... The, so the star, like, tops the Hightower... The high tower like sits kind of within it, but not, and then like it's almost like a halo around right? like the, a sainthood around the high tower. Mm-hmm. Around the high tower, and then there's a flame on top of that. It almost reminds me of what Sanus's personal sigil when you describe it like that. That idea of like a f- mm, the, yeah. the flaming heart, right? But um, I guess the star and like mixing all of that symbolism together, religious imagery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Other kinds um, of symbolism. Yeah. And you get to look at her kids, too, which are the most, I mean, for what it's worth, they aren't all winners, but the green children here have some cool symbols. Uh, Amond is a sapphire. Oh, oh. And if you paid attention in that preview for next week, he's going to do an eyeball reveal, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Take it off. Take it off, Amond. Throwing up. Show us that. Oh, my God. Well, I'm excited because, yeah, we didn't get it. And as you said, the sapphire, I think it's a fun choice. And it also just really stands out, right? Like, it stands out in that opening sequence because everything is so gray and gold and warm colored, especially with all that blood. And then you've got that blue shining He's against He's different. It. Yeah. That blue is what was really neat. Uh, it's his smiling eye, mm. right? It's his uh, smiling eye a la Euron. Or the stars, and the starry hope- eyes of the whites and the others. Yes, simian star eyes. Mm, absolutely, exactly. Agen's is a nude woman's figure, naturally. It reminds me of Dario. It does remind me of Dario a little bit. It makes me think of his aracs, yeah. It's funny that, as you said, right, Holiness is a spider because... So many different connotations for spiders running throughout the story, and Helena's feels very. Di- it's a, yeah, she's like a mythical weaver, like Ariadne, but not. Yeah, there's a lot of it in this episode. We're gonna come to actually. I would say, I would say, and their kids are pictured. In fact, there's three tiles. You can't see the third, so I'm guessing that means Maylor will be born. So- I don't know what's going on. I think so. I think. I think they're gonna and some people have said like does Helena look like she's pregnant in this episode and I mean I don't know with the way that these dresses are cut maybe maybe not but like I think we're gonna get Maelor. A lot of the times it's the way the dress is cut like Sophie Turner in series six right she had um people kept saying it was like a baby bump in her it was like the tan dress that had I don't know it was like a tan dress she wore the dress she wore with Theon when they escape and they're in the snow. It's just Poofy. But people said that she had a baby bump there and it was literally just the dress form. Yeah. And for her dress in the last episode, I actually, I hate to be that asshole that was trying to figure it out because I was like, wait, is she pregnant while she was dancing with Jace? And I didn't think so. But now this episode, I'm like, interesting. I think we might have a, a baby mailer on the way. Yeah. I, mean, I just think like Ryan Condal, who was like 
No, let's keep Rhaenyra, Rhaenys, and Reyna as names. I don't think someone who does that is going to get rid of Baylor. <gasps> if he was that no, committed to that, not. he's not getting rid of Baylor. Well, we're also like out of kids to kill, right? Because by that time, we just like a lot of kids are going to die here in, yeah. in a year. We just, we just need, we need more kids to kill is what Chloe's saying. We need to bring in more kids so we can kill more of the kids, you know? Look, I've watched a lot of The Walking Dead, and that's part of it, is like they have to shuffle all the people out to kill more of them. So as you kill a few kids, you have to give a few more kids. Yeah. So like we take out Luke. Next mm-hmm. up, he's dead. Only death made for life. Thank God we didn't get yeah. close to your ass. Oh uh, and then season two, right away, goodbye, Jaharis. We hardly knew you and all of your digits. we're going to get to know him, but yeah. Oh, Jaharis, sorry, sorry. I, I was hear- hearing Jaharis. Oh, no, no, no. Jaharis. It gets confusing. And then, yeah, Jaharis, though, later. See, mm-hmm. if Ryan Condal God, gave just... us two Aegons and a Jaharis and a Jaharis, he's going to give us a Maelor. It's the only one with a name that's yeah. kind of different. Yeah, this is easy. This is easy mode. Maybe that's why he hasn't done it. <laughs> He's like, it's too Him easy. Him and Darren are like, those yeah. are easy. Right. Uh, it's so funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, we open up a little bit where the last episode left off. Yeah, the servants find Viserys dead. It's a beautiful open, wonderful music. It's reminiscent of, you know, kind of the newer episodes, series six seven eight there were some great musical drops and in scope scale sound and production kind of like the winds of winter in season six right like it had that kind of scope and scale as an episode which is impressive for a first season show but at the same time it had this raw authenticity that reminds me of baylor in season one it feels both polished and raw which i think is a really great feeling that's beautiful i love that i love that um connection i was also thinking like you can tell it's morning, right? Because you can hear like the 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 birds chirping, right? Um, and mm-hmm. I, the sound editing was fantastic for really evoking that we have lost someone in this world, right? Something has been lost in those moments, and then you have that like serenity that is very quickly broken by the rest of the episode. Uh, and now that I think about it, it, it does feel disrespectful and whole, and it's meant to, right? But. I was kind of thinking that, yeah, that's not how crows sound. I've heard a crow before. Everyone don't like be alarmed. I've heard many different kinds of birds in my life. Uh, but the chirping of the birds did make me think like, oh, is it supposed to be like a little kind of feast for crowsy? Even though crows don't sound like, they have, ah, ah. oh, yeah, bird song. Just a little yeah. bit. Of, okay. Birds feasting yeah. in general, you know? Little mm-hmm. birds also communicating with uh, worms. The oh, the er- <gasps> the early yeah. bird gets the worm. Early bird That's gets the Talia, worm. the early you bird with the white worm. Oh my god! <laughs> if I just let you go, think of the heights that you will soar to. <laughs> this Eliana. is apparently I don't know. This is what our patrons apparently think. They they're like Eliana says O, oh, and then she goes off on something, and I'm like, what O oh, is she? What O oh are they talking about? I don't know it. It's always not even like, I think it's going to be something really groundbreaking and then it's something in the other direction. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You're out here. But you know <laughs> That's what? That's what makes it groundbreaking. We all got to have a place to workshop it. I'm yeah, we all got to workshop. Wild card. Uh, you know, I had this great theory that maybe Jaharis, the child, would be able to 
be the one that saw his grandfather and get taken all the way down to the cells because of the shot in the trailer. And I was really team. That's Jaharis. It's not. It's a servant boy. But our internet froze <coughs> literally right when that episode started. And me and Eliana are sitting there and Eliana's like, oh my God, Chloe was right, you guys. Chloe was right. Chloe, you were so right. Chloe, you were right. And then it plays and it, I was not right. And we were all like, no, Chloe was not right. Uh, so that was fun. It was just a little servant boy. We're having fun. He gets taken down, yeah, to the dungeons. We're having fun. We were not having fun, though, for those moments when we were like, how do we get the episode to play? That, you know, if you ever wanted to know how human we are. Very stressful. We were just, like, freaking out over the internet. It was so stressful. So, Talia, the early bird, tells Allison, and it, it it's a nice scene um well acted by everyone olivia bursting into sobs and you know unfortunately later on you have allison telling otto not just about the death but also about what viseri said not that anyone thinks it's like believable (laughs) that must be such a horrible feeling because i mean however you feel about that reveal at the end of the episode allison does think she knows what she heard and she does think she knows what it means and i thought it was incredibly interesting how it was cut through right like she doesn't give him more details because she knows that her father wouldn't understand or believe right like he's never been close to a dreamer he wouldn't know what a dreamer's seen now she has helena and she had viserys i think she would be a little more open to it than otto would otto i don't think he would understand at all oh and otto doesn't understand a lot of things like love the concept of love. Like, I still remember oh the series being like, I want my daughter to marry for love, and being Otto being like, what is that? <laughs> and, um, but there's a moment that actually kind of made me think of last episode in which Otto asks Allison who else knows, and it makes me think a little bit of Allison with the maid, uh, with Diana, and being like, who else have you told? So. Yeah, she's starting to get so so wrapped up in secrets, right? She's starting to get very wrapped up in yeah. secrets. Thankfully, the secret comes out by the end of the episode <laughs> to everyone in King's Landing. There's a beautiful shot of Talia lighting the candle, uh, and it's a great dissolve, but I think it's also clear that she's probably signaling Mizaria with the candles to tell her this is what's happened that the king has died. It kind of seems apparent to me that she's signaling, and it reminds me a bit of Brienne and Sansa. So there's a great dissolve where it comes out of the candle, and you see the flames flickering, and then later Mizaria's house burns down in flame. Yeah, it's interesting the way that they're coming at fire in a couple of different ways throughout this series so far. Mm -hmm. But absolutely in regards to using it as a signal and... It being reminiscent of that, I'm kind of like, I like this version better, but maybe it's just because, like, I don't have anything to base it off of, right? Is the reason that I didn't like the Brienne Sansa one because, A, like, it was a completely different scenario. Yeah, it meant nothing and, like, it was all missed. Yeah, you're right. It, it was about that irony where it was missed and then it ended up being really unsatisfying, which is, you know, whatever, whatever. But this one had payoff. Before we get to that payoff, though, we do they do keep us a little bit waiting. We have a small council. Tyland Lannister kind of gets a personality. Also, I like how they like roll the balls across like they're, uh, I don't know, billiard balls. And they're like, here, take your billiard ball. Set up the, I don't know, rack them or whatever the fucking term is. Um, <laughs> the ball? 
Uh, we were talking about this with History of Westeros in the preview in which we apparently got a lot of things wrong about this episode. Like, for example, me in regards to the timing with Alicent Hightower's hair. Whatever. Whatever. But... It was both. That's what I loved. It was like, nope. Yeah, right. Uh, she ended up, down, up, down, up, down. <laughs> Actually, that's true. Um, so Shea grabbed some pictures of, of the balls. And Tylan's ball, has, as you were describing, Chloe, it has like that slit and how it kind of looks like a cat's eye. Or Shea was also saying like a lion's eye. And I think that's kind of interesting, maybe a little ironic, considering what happens to Tylan Lannister's eyes by the end before he dies. Eventually, like, I mean, he lives quite a while being blind, but, you know. It's so cruel. Actually, it's though, awful. he actually comes around. I come around to Thailand. I'm like, what an interesting dude. No, I, I like that he's finally got a personality. He's another one of these kind of gray schemers yeah. that we read about in the books. I, I'd he's like to get parts. some nuance to him, especially. Yeah, he's got honor in, yeah. his, in a way, as we find out later, later, later on. Yeah. Yeah, he has a lot of Tyrion vibes. Uh, we'll talk. I know you have a lot of thoughts on how Larry's has a couple of Tyrion vibes going on, too. But I'm interested to see more about Tywin Lannister. And this council, it's interesting because Fire and Blood plays this council up like it is the biggest part of the book. Like it, this, is, this is when everything happens. And I did not feel that way. Yeah, the princess and the queen kicks off with this, you know? Like, this is a... This is it. Fire and Blood goes through the question of succession and gives you these long, if you're not into it, droll-ass paragraphs of history, right? Yeah. That you have to parse through where they're telling you all these names and throwing all these people at you. And we've gotten to see a lot of those people come alive, right? And that's been really faithful and that's been really except exciting. Except for Iron Rod. Uh, yeah, right. Except for Iron Rod. My fucking God. He means nothing. But... We haven't, this was the crux in my opinion, and how they nailed this was, and maybe that's me with my former prejudices because I've read the book, but uh, how they formed this was going to be really important to me of how I felt about the episode, and I was really excited, and I'm not upset, I'm just a little deflated, that's all. I'm a little disappointed, I'm not mad, Ryan Condal, I'm just a little disappointed because I feel like if this scene was played, if this scene was played for more leverage just like tension wise if it was put farther in the middle if we had switched the Aegon stuff up a little bit and i understand they wanted to have a race against time but i didn't feel like there was a race against time they were coronating like the race just didn't feel like a race to me the race i guess was between allison and otto that was the race and it was uh, written for this episode and it makes sense in it um, I don't mind but as you said right i kind of wanted a little more courtroom drama or something out of out of that small council scene, right? I wanted to see people really duke mm -hmm. it out emotionally and <laughs> what you say it as you as you would uh think of it. <laughs> but <laughs> I think uh, as some people might know, what I wanted was also like kind of a ridiculous thing to want. But I think from an artistic level, it would have been a very ambitious endeavor and in a way maybe commendable and respectable for that. I wanted a 12 Angry Men mm. episode, right? I wanted yes. an hour-long episode in the small council. But I also understand why they were like all right, we've got all this already set and ready because it kind of doesn't make sense that if they've been planning this for a long time, as we see Otto has been thinking about this for a long time, that they haven't laid any plans already. That's true. 
that that does make sense. And also they needed to, I mean, it's a Game of Thrones episode nine. I get it. Yeah. You know, they need to do something big, punchy. But I do think they sacrificed some of that. Um, they've had good slow building tension all season on a lot of things that I thought was really good. Like it doesn't need to be fast building tension, but a lot of their pots needed to simmer this episode, in my opinion, and they didn't simmer. You didn't bring your fucking sauce to a simmer, you know? Now you got a thin sauce. Well, uh, um, I think they can sell it in the clothes, but I just, I wanted it to simmer more. I wanted tensions to be bursting. Like the Allison versus Otto race, that meant nothing to me. <laughs> I needed, well, I mean, uh, let me rephrase race. that. I, it needed it to be, partners. yeah, but there needed to be tensions, right? Like I needed it to mean something that she was actually mad at her dad. <laughs> and, in a way it did, but like the moment when she says to him, I have Aegon, I will do this. I wanted that to be more meaningful than it was. And that's on me for wanting things, first of all. But it was still fine. It's just I think that they should have consulted me personally. <laughs> but I, so. yeah, I think it went fine. But at the same time, I understand what you're saying. Because like, I kind of have to write in and fill in the gaps as the watcher of what it means. And I, and. I respect the show for not spoon feeding the audience a lot of this information, but I did kind of have to like draw out my own ideas of like, wait, why does it really matter what whether Allison or Otto gets Egan first? And the assumption is like that's the difference between whether or not Rhaenyra lives or dies, right? That's like the big stakes, but at the same time, I think maybe I would have wanted to see as you were saying, right, more of those stakes and more of uh, what that really looks like. Give us the platforms. What is Allison's political platform? What is Otto's political platform? Give us more of Otto's, I think is more of it. You know, like, I think because we know Allison's, right? We know, uh, we've, we've been with her for a lot of the season. But maybe, I guess, show us really, like, how much we're pulling the veil off of Otto for her to see. Yeah, that would have maybe helped to fill him out a little bit because... The problem is we don't actually know what his plan is now. Like, now he has the throne. Now he is, he no longer has Viserys beneath him, right? To, to prop him up and give him power. So what does he do with that power? And I guess it's too early to tell in some aspects, but I, I wanted more of, like, there were certain parts, especially if we had cut back and forth and maybe the chase was happening earlier. Mm. And maybe they were stuck in the room a little longer and you had the chase going on in the night and then in the day. And then they finally get to him, but then the council was still going because you could cut back and forth and show Allison like the terror in her building as her father is not necessarily because he's not a he's not an evil guy. He's just a bad guy. You know what I mean? Like he's not out here like and we're gonna hang peasants in every corner and blood them and put them in a trough. He's not he's not gonna do that. That's not Otto. His evil is I mean, his evil is based on insecurity. It's not evil. It's just he's bad because he's reaching for power to secure his family's titles and to give them a legacy. And, you know, you're reaching for a star and you're not going to grasp it fully. Uh, some of, I guess, some of your legacy passes down, but not a lot. Uh, and I guess there was not enough of like, you know, he had the Storm's End part that was great that we brought in Storm's End. Great. Thailand is splitting the treasury just like in the book. Good stuff. But I did want more of the war planning stuff that we're going to see probably talked about in the Black Council. You know, they, they kind of immediately get the lock on a few places. I don't know. Yeah. Are these silly complaints? I don't know. I just wanted just a little more for Otto. Just a little, little more. Some, something that I did think was strong was 
the that Lord Beesbury died before Otto says, you know, the doors must remain shut until we're done with our business or whatever. Like the line isn't exactly like that in the books. Basically, Otto like is like we're not, you know, we gotta we can't send anything out. We can't like do anything until like we decide this matter of succession, right? That it ha- that they decide to leave the door shut and just let not just Viserys' body, but also Lord Beesbury's body just sit there and say it explicitly before he makes that call, I think was a strong uh, creative choice in terms of showing the depravity of what Otto is doing here. I guess, yeah, I just needed a little more tension from him. Just a little more tension, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I got some tension from Kristen, who keeps bashing people's heads in. Um... He can't keep getting away with this, even if he has a cute hat. He, we can't keep letting him get away with it. <laughs> His hat is, it's so funny. I have a song for you about that. I'm going to read it out loud Silly. now. We're going to, or we'll, we'll get to it later when, when Kristen's hat shows up. But I, I love this scene between him and Harold Westerling, right? It really shows what happens when one's loyalties are split. And it's been mm-hmm. something that's been brewing for a couple of episodes, right? Because Harold Westerling has always kind of been like, can I control my employee? I don't know. As we saw with episode seven, Harold is like, we got to hold back Kristen. He's about to run into, I don't know what, threaten more royal family members, shove more people of the royal family. He's done it so many times. I really don't know what to tell you at this point of which episode it is. God, he uh, really feel for Lyman dying and love the Harold yeah. tension. Uh, he removed his cloak. I love a Kingsguard who understands yes. that his role is bullshit now. I, we love a Kingsguard who removes their cloak. I love you can see the texture on the cloak, right? It really looks like silk. It's a yeah, fine cloak. it was the finest silk. And he gave it. He gave it. He threw it. He's got honor. No silk had ever felt finer. Yeah, absolutely. He lives for now, and I think you can see him in the trailer at Rhaenyra's council, so he defects. And I'm wondering, since Otto's going to be coming there, it seems, and he does in the book, too, to bring terms, I'm wondering if Harold and Kristen die. Or, not Kristen, God, unfortunately. But I'm wondering if Kristen kills Harold at Dragonstone, like they fight. Yeah, I don't know. I think it might happen next episode, because he's dead. He's fucking dead right now in the books. He's gone. That bitch dead. I know he died before Viserys yeah, died. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's a different canon, right, than Fire and Blood because Harold Westerling was dead for a while. But it's kind of fun to think of like how Fire and Blood the Maesters would never write down or chronicle that Harold Westerling was like, um, actually, I'm not going to go against the royal family. Like, literally, my job was to defend them. What the fuck? Also, he loves Rhaenyra. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, to that same token, he might. He might not have died. Shit, maybe they just wrote he died because they didn't want to talk about his uh, heroics. How dare, how dare, even more, even more. How dare you, Mas- Archmaester Gildane. Uh, George even wants oh to slap God. Archmaester Gildane. He's like, how dare you write like a, this Viserys as opposed to the Viserys in the show. He's like, that Viserys was amazing. I love Patty Considine. Considine. Uh, George, stop talking to yourself. Stop uh, talking to yourself. He like re- reassured everyone in his blog. He's like, Gildane's not real. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kidding. Allison's surprise at the usurping is like my favorite thing because she's like, wait a second. You guys, they're, they're so easy about it. She's like, how you guys have been doing this for what, a decade? You've been planning to put my son on the fucking throne and I just had the worst 24 hours of my life, the most unbearable, depressing, like 12 to 20 hours where I sat there and thought, I have to betray my ex-girlfriend in this manner. My God. 
And you've been doing it for 10 years? Yeah. Uh, very funny, but also like very sad. And then her increasing anxiety. You can see her heavily breathing. You can see her spinning out of control. Olivia Cook. I can't believe this is our last episode yeah. with her this season from what I'm hearing because whew, that woman can put on a show. I mean, Lena Headey was the actress of that show. I mean, you know, that's why she had to get many back surgeries, right? Because she carried it for so many years on her back. She didn't get back surgeries. I'm sorry. I was being dramatic. But that's what Olivia Cook's going to be like after this season already. Amazing. Olivia Cook is doing an amazing job. Um, Reese Evans was saying how like she can deliver paradoxical emotions within one line. Yeah, as you said, like her surprise and and finally realizing that, wow, all this power that I thought I had, like all this control is a farce. And now she's got to start, you know, her father makes fun of her for play, treating it like a game. And I'm like, well, Otto Hightower, maybe you don't know, but in the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. Okay, it is a fucking game. Um, That's why we named the last show that. And she's in it. I need you to understand how hard I just had to blow out air out of my mouth at that. It was like I couldn't laugh necessarily, but all I could do was just go. <sighs> it's a catchy name. I mean, yes. I understand why they named the first named it after the first book. Like that's probably why he named the first book that. He's like, this is a book name that's going to catch readers' attention. It is a Game of Thrones that we play. <laughs> well, the next game we're playing is hide and seek. Originally by Imogen Heap, sampled by Jason Derulo. Call Doom, what you say? Just kidding, that was a throwback to last episode. Did you know I was almost named Imogen? Hmm. I like Eliana. I like that she went oh, with that, but I would have liked you if you were Imogen as well. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's not really about the name, it's about what's in your heart. Okay. You know, ask Jon Snow. Uh, I'm sorry, Aegis? So the next game we play... The next game we play is with a different Aegon daughter. Oh. It's with Aegon II and Helena. We're looking for Aegon. We can't find him. It's great. They come to Helena and she's like, no. And she like immediately looks down into her embroidery, which kind of to me says she does know. She's like, no, get away from me. Why would I know where he is? He's obviously not here. Go look for him in other places. She probably knows where he is because... He doesn't usually come home to her. Uh, there's a great line where she says to her maids who are playing with the babies about the babies. She says, if one possesses a thing, the other will take it away. Hmm. They're like, yes, very good, princess. Very good. And she's, I mean, it's funny because it could be taken either way. It could be a, like, Helena light prophecy. You know, just a little light like, ah, I'm talking about the throne. But it literally could just be a parenting note on her kids and i like that i like that dramatically i agree it's kind of about those things it could be about the dance but it also kind of in my opinion sets it up a little bit for the things that aemon says about Aegon and the way that aemon covets he doesn't covet the throne oh, for being yes. the throne but he covets it in that he's like Aegon is clearly unqualified yes not and maybe with her too we'll have to see how they play this throughout the seasons Probably not. He gets his own MILF, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Build your own MILF. B-Y-O-M. I don't remember all the words to that Bella Porch song. Anyways, um, so... Helena does not know where Igan is. Um, then suddenly is very into her needlework, which, you know, 
as you said, she knows, everyone knows. Yeah. He sucks. Yep, yeah. And she yep, yeah. regurgitates her other prophecy while also kind of like being very aghast at her mother, like, don't touch me. I have a prophecy. No one's listening. Yeah, she regurgitates the prophecy. There's a beast beneath the boards, and I have a complaint. Okay. okay. It is me with my complaint. I know that this wasn't for us because we comb over the show, every detail, we memorize it. It's for other people who may not remember everything, but I really feel like this happened like last episode. Or the episode, yeah, like last episode, right? Yeah, it happened last episode. That she episode. said the prophecy yeah, yeah, for the yeah, first yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, this one, this one. They should have just saved it for this one then, or left it in the last one. You can't have both. You can't have her say it again. I get it. You want to remind people, but I think it's silly for her to repeat it. And I don't know. We've all been thinking about this prophecy for a week. Like, there's li- none of us forgot about this prophecy. Why not? You repeat the, the Song of Ice and Fire prophecy all the fucking time. Yeah, it's a little much, right? Like, I'm just like, okay, next. I don't know. It was it was a complaint on my part. I was like, I don't need to be fucking feeded fed this i think I, you know what i mean i think i didn't mind because i liked the way that it was acted and helena goes there's a beast between beneath the boards and i was like helena i mean yeah i will take anything she does to be fair so sure i, I agree there like any acting or see that's the one thing i will say thank god they gave her another line and glad it was that good good girl love her it also shows like how much people aren't taking her seriously and her kind of i think starting to react to that and maybe that'll build into mm-hmm. something maybe not but Ooh. i didn't mind as much but i wonder how crazy those dreams are gonna drive her also i mean we kind of get the answer to what it is this episode they don't seem to really be stringing us along for that long maybe this is sort of to start getting us prepared right like in previous ones it's only been about an mm-hmm. episode or less between when things happen um and they're starting to maybe try to attune us for waiting for prophecy payoffs because they might start increasing the time between Helena's prophecies and when it comes to fruition. But also, oh, fun! So it's like a first grade memory game. Exactly, exactly. And but also like starting to. Oh, it's a puzzle box. Yeah, but a, a better hopefully, and also maybe hopefully they'll like do kind of like I don't know with Azor High. Maybe there'll be multiple candidates, but also like the beast beneath the boards. I mean, we didn't guess anywhere close to it. Because how could you? And I love that. I do love that. They gotta leave some things that surprise us, right? Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that like. Of course, they want to keep book readers engaged and surprised, but like on History of Westeros, someone had a great theory that all of Helena's prophecies thus far have seemed kind of bug-related, and so maybe this is about the scorpions. Turns out this was not about bugs at all, so, you know, like, it's anyone's Game of Thrones. (laughs) That's true. So the next shot we get is Sir Eric polishing his sword. Whoa! He gets sent to find Aegon. Whoa, not that one. (laughs) This this turned way sexier than intended. He, thank you for giving me dick jokes. Eliana. I will do this. Thank you for giving you me dick jokes. You will give me my iron throne. Your iron rod. I will give you your iron rod. Oh my god! I bet you would. You wild oh thing. Ah, we're on fire. Just kidding. Uh, he gets sent to find Aegon with his brother Arik, 
And then we flash to Rainies, who realizes that she is locked in and begins to watch the commotion happening below her window, where all the lords and ladies head to the throne room while she cannot. I was kind of secretly, like, thinking of how Bela jumps into yes. the yard in Dragonstone, and I was like, are you going to do it? Like, the whole time, because I heard people say she was badass this episode, which she was. But I was wondering, I was like, oh, are we going to see where Bela gets it from? Her jumping skills? Yeah, I actually think that there's a lot about what happens with Rainies that does parallel Bela escaping in Dragonstone yes, with Moon Dancer and, and stealing back her Dragon Moon Dancer right to go do things. But mm-hmm. I also, now that you've brought it up, realize, you know, as a person who's getting older and is not as young as Bela, if it's I not were possible. Eve's, be- Eve's best age, I also would not be like, I think my bones can handle jumping out a window. I I cannot now. I cannot do it now. <laughs> No, for sure. I, I respect that. I appreciate that. I did think about Bela a lot through that part. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you did too. Yeah, the servants are locked up below. They're all being shepherded, including the kid who is not Jaharis. <laughs> and Talia, who tries to get the attention of a guard, which I don't know why, but I guess it's just a signal to us that Larry's is suspicious and finds her because he's lurking nearby. She's trying to use her station to get out. Yeah. Allison charges Kristen Cole to bring Aegon straight to her when he's found for the love that he has for her as a queen, which to me kind of stuck out, especially because of what's going on with Larry's, right? That she says, for the love you bear me as queen. Kind of looking for love from somebody, anybody that aren't the monsters in her life as she sees them, right? Aemond is there and he volunteers. He's like, I can help. And they take off, and Aemond starts to misguide Kristen, finding Aegon. So we're going to find out in a second, right, that Aemond doesn't actually frequent the Street of Silk. Like, we've been talking a lot, everyone's been talking a lot about the parallels between Aemond and Daemon, but this is actually something where they diverge very largely. Aemond doesn't frequent brothels. He doesn't hang out at them. He doesn't think they're particularly fun, right? He doesn't spend very much time amongst the small folk. And I'm not saying this like as a bad thing. I'm not saying he does a good thing. I'm just saying this is something that's different between him and Daemon. Yeah, that's a good point. He's um, not interested in that at all. He's more interested in learning magic. Yeah, he's kind of like, he's actually in, I think, a way a lot like Jace. I think that had they been born to different parents... They actually would have been mm. really good friends. They would have like LAN parties together. Oh my god. You know I'm right. Yes, they would play Halo. <laughs> they would play Halo. Oh, absolutely. But Eamon would still drop his balls on Jace's face, probably. Or no, they'd get Luke to play if they were having a LAN party, and then he'd drop his balls on Luke's face. I s- Wouldn't matter, because Luke's gonna die. I hear but. some like kids, I don't know, sometimes I hear that's like bonding between like boys, but I don't really know. Anyway, I think they could have gotten along. Yeah. I think so, too. If not for the sins of their fathers and mothers. In the throne room, Otto declares Viserys amended his wishes to the lords that are gathered. It's a funny scene because he's all like pledged to your future king. And it's like, where the fuck is he? Why are you the one in this room that everyone is kneeling to and in front of the Iron Throne? Very, very transparent, Otto. Surprisingly, in mm-hmm. a good way, only about like half or less than actually bend the knee initially. Yeah, and then they look around at one another and they're like, hmm, and then most of them bend the knee. Uh, interesting, actually, to watch that take place as people size up. Like, how do I escape this situation with my head? It's funny, though, I did laugh. The description says, Otto gathers the great houses of Westeros to affirm allegiance. LOL. Uh, they're 
they're not all great houses, right? I mean, all the great houses, if we were saying great houses, aren't, isn't that the great houses, like the noble houses? Yeah. Uh, we're going to watch some of them be wooed over. Obviously, the Reach is, I guess, you know, that would have been something nice to understand. What's going on with how the Reach feels about all this? We don't hear about it yet. That's true. Yeah, literally none of the great houses are here. <laughs> They're like good. None of them. They are good They're houses. Good. They're good. They are good houses, especially yeah. a few of them. <laughs> and I don't like. I don't like the house system here that we're ranking on. Personally, I think we should abolish this system that we're ranking on. But they're just good houses. You know, they're not great houses. So everyone kneels except for Lord Merriweather and Lady Fell. Y'all, it, we were like, who is this man when we were watching? Because they didn't yeah. tell us who this was. They didn't say the name. They said Lady Fells, and we already know Lord Caswell previously. So we check, we checked the fire and blood, and it tells us actually Lord Hayford, Lord Merriweather, Lord Hart, Lord Buckler, Lord Caswell, and Lady Fell valued their sworn word more than their lives and were beheaded each in turn along with eight landed knights and two score servants and retainers. Their heads were mounted on spikes above the city's gates. Anyway, so we know Lady Fell because they said her name aloud. Who is this man? I had to go on IMDB to find out. And I was looking closely at his like clothes. I was like, is that a clue? Kind of, but not really. It's, I, I'm pretty sure Paul Clayton, I've compared that man's face to the man's face in the, in the oh episode. God. And Good I'm job. very sure... Pretty sure, mostly sure that it's Lord Merriweather. Good job, Eliana. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And I did not know. I'm glad. But I hope that their fate, like, the, is their fate? Who knows? The same? I don't know. We literally don't know what happened to them because their heads aren't mounted anywhere. Clearly, they made an example of Lord Caswell. So, wouldn't surprise me if Ravens fly next episode or Otto mentions it when he gets there. Like, ah, these people are dead. And that would be nice. At least it's a little storytelling as we pass through. It's funny because Caswell is there and he's a real G. We know Caswell, yeah. but he is playing the long game. He takes a knee, takes a little bit longer to, and then he decides to, and he starts a cheer and he's like, long live the king. Uh, he's acting like he has sleeves, tricks up them. He doesn't because he's going to die too, as, as we see Sue. It was a good effort. He's the only one we see dead. Yeah, exactly. And is it because like he broke his pledge, but at the same time, like... Otto seemed pretty intent on threatening people right then and there. I guess that's the stakes. That's the stakes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was waiting for descent. I guess these are also like just the ones that were local and trotting by and that were there who were, as far as lords go. Yeah, so. who were unfortunate enough to be there on business, same as Rainey's. Yeah, hate being there on business. So Eric and Arik head to the fighting pits. And by the fighting pits, it's, uh, it's where the children are. With sharpened teeth and long nails fighting, cheered on by the other small folk. And Eric and Arik express their disgust, uh, with Eric explaining, like, dude, the guy's a fucking monster. Look over there. There's a small blonde child that is not game and pale hair, but is most definitely probably one of Aegon's bastards. I know I said that I would give, like, my toe, my sixth toe. I don't have a sixth toe. But if I had one, I would give it to bet that that was game and pale hair. I was wrong. I'm always wrong. I don't know. It just felt right to me. Aren't you glad? Yeah, absolutely. But aren't absolutely, because it means there's still a chance for next season, especially because they're introducing the concept. And not only will this introduce that concept for Aegon yes. and his bastards, but it will also introduce the concept of dragon seeds to come. I think as well. It'll start to be more like, oh yeah, he had a couple bastards too. Mm -hmm. Look, uh, and I'm glad that we're boosting the child actor economy. 
you know, the Game of Thrones child actor economy. But great job of showing instead of telling in the book, Aegon is getting serviced by what looks like a 12-year-old when they find him in one of the tellings, right? And there's obviously several tellings. Uh, but who knows what was true? I think they're following that telling, but they didn't show us anything quite that awful. Instead, they showed us this, which is still pretty terrible. I like that Eric and Arik are our vehicle, showing us where Aegon spends his time, not making us watch the act, but yet you're still uncomfortable because you know what's going on. And they are too, visibly. You can see this is showing tension between them. Something you brought up earlier was Westerling and being a knight and that kind of those values you mm. hold. And that's the argument that's happening between Eric and Arik throughout this episode to build some of those tensions for later when they're forced to fight at Dragonstone for their lives, right? In the next season. Uh, I also, I don't know, I think, like you were saying, there's a lot of these themes that are recurring, and it's a theme I didn't really think about for this one until you said it, because I think there might just be too many themes this episode. Is it more of like a ninth grade book report instead of an eighth yeah, grade Yeah, I'm thinking we're report? in like 10th grade, and my brain just wasn't ready for the hamster wheel, and that's fine, that's yeah. fine. I'm digesting it right now with the you. The hamster wheel? What the fuck? I... Um, so what? Wait, what? What are the themes? What are the themes in your? Well, I just told you the knighthood and the um, the oh, betrayals yeah, yeah. True, and true. the the parenting gotten wrong, and then the small folk actually mattering, and then like fire and blood, fire and blood, fire and blood, and then like you know dragons and power and trappings of power, trappings of power, literally being trapped because of power. You know, there was just trapped under a table because power. There was a lot of theme. It's a lot of theme. I think that might be more over what happened. So much theme, a lot to bite into. I need to digest it. Oh, biter. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it makes me think of biter. You thinking about biter with these sharp teeth? You know, this is probably where biter grows up yeah. someday, is in these pits that do not get closed by good Queen Rhaenyra or great King Aegon. And also reminiscent of the child slave pits of Astapor. That's a good point. He's messed up. <laughs> that man is messed up. Um, understandably, I mean, who wouldn't be coming from this, right? Like, this is where they're, they're told to be tools, they're told to be, like, aggression, right? And it's kind of in miniature of the dance, right? Like, why is everyone fighting so fairly amongst themselves, these children, mm. the children of Viserys, fighting amongst themselves? That's true. Uh, for, because they're puppets, they're being forced to by all these other people pulling the strings. Yeah, and because of that, it's all trickled down. I actually really love how this is confronted in this episode because it is something that george doesn't tell us because you have to kind of assume that this has just come from corruption and you know a poor area where there's no resources and they have to resort to other ways to somehow live and yeah it's it's not just live it's like the willingness to exploit someone else for your own profit right like it's a it's a human trafficking thing mm -hmm. going on as well right like uh they drew inspiration intentionally from dogfighting and cockfighting. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because I see, you know, you see that plot point come up in a couple of places, but you never see it with children. You see it mostly come up in the context of like, oh, I was going to say prisoners, right? Like uh, they, they do it as a as a plot point in Luke mm -hmm. Cage and they do it actually also in Riverdale. Mm -hmm. I, George isn't that far off. Oh, like, yeah, I'm, no, I'm absolutely. Saying like, no, I'm saying like, don't look down on Riverdale is all oh I'm God. trying to say. No, but I mean, it's wild. It also it, does it, exist. Who knows what's happening, yeah. you know? Yeah. So on the other side of the hunt for Aegon, first of all, now it is finally time. Kristen Cole's wearing his funny hat. I'm going to read aloud to you a poem from um, that I came across when I was a teenager. 
uh, in media, and it's called What's That? A Hat. Oh my God. Crazy, funky, junky hat overslept. Here and slightly. Yeah, trying to look like Kira Knightley. We've been there. We've done that. We see you right through your funky hat. That's from um, Alexis and Harper, Wizards of Waverly Place. I'm, and I think that they would say that to Chris and Cole. I thank you for your your beautiful poem. But I thank you for my slam poetry. <laughs> your slam poetry. We've all done it. You know, don't be embarrassed. <laughs> so not only is he wearing a stupid hat, but Eamon actually gets a great bit of characterization here. He seems pretty upset that they're wasting time looking for his shithead brother who's never cared about ruling when Eamon, who has studied many philosophies, is right here. And histories. He is right there. And I think it's funny that he says, like, I intend to be found or whatever at some it. point. Because Aegon actually does go missing for a bit, right? Some of it is just from the public eye. Some of it he actually does go missing for a bit after he's injured by his fight with Rainies, who Aegon does end up on Dragonstone later on. And as you said, there's that whole thing with Vela sneaking out. But for a moment there, Aemond does take the reins. And... <laughs> He, who knows, who knows if it's like maester stuff or not, like a maester agenda against Aemond or not, because he does look like an anime villain, but turns out that doesn't necessarily mean he is an anime villain. And actually anime villains, a lot of them are very complex. They're given a lot of like depth. I'm going to say that. Um, You've seen that. You watch anime. Like they're given a lot of like humanization. Eamon does take the reins there for a bit, and we discussed this a little bit in season eight, but I do want to point out, you know, people have been um, talking about disability, like in the series, we're talking a lot about it in Brand's storyline, but Eamon also actually is disabled, right? Like, I think um, it's not always recognized just because he's done so much to overcompensate for that in all these different ways, like how he's talking about, like, I study, I've trained hard with the sword, I've done all these things, kind of Rhaegar-esque, again, kind of like Jace. They would have been best friends. But he's the second son, right? And the third born child. And he gets overlooked, just like Rhaenyra is overlooked for being a woman. And we talked a lot this about this in season eight, right? Like how people like Tyrion, again, also very much disabled in a second son. And Daenerys, they're denied that institutional power. They're denied like being seen as powerful, right? Because society doesn't see them as matching those uh, those those ideas of masculinity, what leadership ideally looks like. And because of that, by virtue of not being given any power, you're always going to be seen as grasping, mm-hmm. even if you are not actually grasping it for it. You just have to be because you have to speak up more in order to get that power, as we're seeing Allison in this episode. It's easy to be framed as a reluctant ruler when you haven't really earned it, which is the case for Aegon. I know that uh, people have discussed like, yeah, I mean, there is merit to Aegon being like having a sense of self-awareness of like, I don't actually want to be king uh, at all. I'm not qualified. The fact that he doesn't want to rule in a way isn't really a credit to him, right? Like, I mean, sure, no one should be forced into certain roles, but at the same time, step up. Look at Jace. Look at Rhaenyra. They have, they're stepping up because... That's what their job is. Yeah. Or your mom. I mean, absolutely. But also it wasn't his job. Who's? Aegon's? Yeah, because he wasn't the heir and he knows that. And he said so. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I haven't been trained for this job. Dad didn't want anything to do with it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. He has self-awareness because literally no one trained him for this job he suddenly has. That is also very true. And that's another thing, right? Like, everyone's like, let's just give it to him. 
Because he has a penis. Yeah, exactly. It's that penis. And was born first. It's troublesome. It gets you into a lot of trouble. And born first. He's like, oh God, why? <laughs> One of Mazaria's employees follows Eric and Arik as she knows where Aegon is and tells them if they bring the Lord Hand to meet her boss, she'll give them Aegon. For a price, of course. Against this, back in the yard, it cuts in and out. Caswell is trying to escape and gets caught by Larry's who is the Lord Confessor now, we hear from Otto, which is interesting. He's moved up very much from his second son status as a disabled man. Otto also mentions Larry's has been attending his daughter for numerous hours, and Larry says there's no reason these hours can't benefit you in the end. It's cold shit, Larry's. It's a pretty good line. I like the way that Larry's as actor also delivers it. Um... He does this thing where like his eyes slowly move up. First they look up in another direction, then up at Otto. I thought that was just fantastic, like facial acting. Um, the doors thing with Caswell also, how he doesn't make it in time with the doors closing kind of sets up that tension for Renice at the end with the doors at the dragon pit. Ooh, that's a great call with those doors. I didn't think about that. I'd also add to come back to Larry's and Otto. It's interesting the events that take place after this, that Otto then goes to meet with the White Worm, and Larry's had said that he would make his hours spent with his daughter count, because then he goes and meets with her, and then the end of the episode, he lights the house on hmm. fire. So I'm kind of wondering if there's a little also Otto going on behind the scenes here, too. I don't know. I don't know. That we're, that we're uh, being shielded from. Yeah, now that I'm like thinking about it, because when he says there's no reason those hours can't benefit you in the end, we know what that means. He's obviously telling Otto, I'm going to make the time I spend with your daughter count for you. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would be a real shame if the white worm is seen with Otto as we see he goes to great lengths to hide from being seen with his cosplay hood. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, Viserys' body gets wrapped up. It doesn't work. Gets wrapped up by the Silent Sisters, overseen by Alicent. I'm loving that we're seeing the Silent Sisters and just some of these little bits of lore from Westeros in the background so happening normally. We saw the Maesters and the Silent Sisters working on Vaymond. Uh I just like the, the world building and the normalcy being added to some of these things. Oh, Alicent, she puts Viserys's crown on his chest when he is done being wrapped up, and she sobs. As you said, there's a lot of small details, like her sniffing the poultice, right? That was a typical, I think, remedy, in quotes, because that didn't actually fix anything during the plagues. And, um, you know, kind of like to shield like from the odor as well, because, I mean, you know, dead bodies smell bad, and he was starting to rot already before then, but... As you said, wonderful sobbing. We, I think we've discussed it length enough about Allison and her relationship to Viserys that I'm not going to go into it too much depth here, but there is that affection, right? That sadness. She wants to give him uh, respect, but ultimately, what is the respect that's given to Viserys? We don't have um, the same thing that fire and blood impresses upon us using Viserys' body as a symbol for the deterioration of the realm and like the state of things with the with the dance because we don't see his body rotting over the course of a week. Mm-hmm. He is embalmed already, so that's good. Much more respectful. I guess they didn't want to go that that direction. But we saw in the first episode the importance, um, and also with uh, Lena, right? The importance of burning bodies 
for the Targaryen and the dragon riding yes. ritual. We don't see that happen at the end of this episode. So what what sort of burial does Viserys get, right? Does one of his three other children that he may or or his four technically that he may or may not know exist. Like at this point, I'm like, no wonder we didn't mention Darren. Like literally, I don't think Viserys remembers he has a son named Darren. He doesn't even remember his other kids. And Will his spirit get to move I think on? There's an aspect of- yeah. I mean, well, like also Rhaenyra, right? Like she's not going to be able to do the honors of saying goodbye to her father. Her father, and I think that's a yeah, that's a big sentimental thing. Fuck you! I'm really upset. Yeah, because that's like you're releasing them from this life to go it's on big. to the fucking Valyria the, in their mind and their fucking mind plane. And it's a big cultural. He's thing. going to be with Balerion, dude. Oh, I thought you were no. going to say Emma, but that's very interesting that he's going to go that. be with Balerion with his demon. Oh, yeah. And Balerion's going to be like, um, excuse you, I'm with, I'm with Aegon now, so you should have died better and faster. <laughs> um, I should have appreciated I knew you me. for like a second. You were a rebound <laughs> um, after Magor. Oh, sorry, and after Arya. As well. We just did a quick loop, and then it was over. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Eliana, I, I really didn't think about that, but now that you say it, I mean, I'm just like thinking on it on such a horrific deep level. Like, now his spirit is trapped in King's Landing without his other parts of his yeah. family and life. Horrible, horrible. I wouldn't want to be trapped in King's Landing, spiritually or physically. You're thinking about Patroclus. I know a you A little are. bit. I could see it. Yeah. Mm hmm. <sighs> Ow. Yeah, King's Landing does seem like a terrible place to be trapped. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, speaking of, let's go to Rainey's, right? With Alicent. She's been trapped in King's Landing. Not just spiritually, physically. Uh, as if she didn't have enough trauma in her life. Likely one of my favorite scenes probably in this episode. Likely one of my favorite scenes in this episode. I love the way they put it against the Weirwood conversation that she has with Rhaenyra in the last episode. Uh, both Alicent and Rhaenyra come off a little desperate clinging to what they can say to make it work. There's an interesting bit of this conversation back and forth. Once Rhaenys realizes the kings died, she immediately realizes the green faction is usurping the throne. And while Alicent starts to sound yeah. desperate here, she is honest, right? She, she's being as honest as she can with the knowledge she knows. She skips over any arguing, too. She's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether or not Viserys named him heir because you won't believe me basically and she then states everything that Rhaenyra has done to Rhaenys's family right even stating you know you should have been queen I can't believe it I would give you the lady of Driftmark title right now if you want Driftmark you want to go to bed I'll give it to you whatever you want giving out shit that she it's like her first power ride here right like she's like I have to go try to be powerful powerful for the first time and she's like I'll give you this I'll give you that and she's trying uh, and Rainey's, but she doesn't offer Driftmark, right? She says we have to guide the men to receive mm-hmm. reason. No, but she does still say it. She says you can have it for Bela. She straight up says you want to give it to your granddaughters. I oh, mean, yeah, she does yeah, say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. does have that power. Sure, but then she does double back on that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Smart what she's offering her, yeah. but also it's not necessarily yeah. hers to give. It's true. That's true. I mean, also, like, also what she's saying is also true, mm-hmm. right? Of, of, she was very qualified. I love this, like, hilarious line, though. I laughed at it. I don't think anyone Oh, I laughed so hard. Me, um, where she goes, 
<laughs> she she goes to Tarini's and she like grabs her hands. She's like, "Dear cousin," and I'm like, "Girl, y'all aren't related." <laughs> and even like Rainey's at a point is just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Throws her hands down. It's like, "What the Hysterical. fuck is this?" What do you mean, guide this <laughs> cousin? I don't know you. <laughs> Literally, she's like, "You're wise. You're wiser than I gave you credit for." But she's like, "You didn't even speak." She's spoken four words to me in a season. <laughs> first of all, that's actually true. <laughs> Probably, and she's like, "You stole this from my daughter." Their conversation goes back and forth. The Iron Throne, or no, I'm sorry. Allison offers, this is what Allison says. The Iron Throne was yours by blood and by temperament. Viserys would have lived his days as a country lord content to hunt and study his histories, but here we are. We do not rule, but we may guide the men that do. Gently, away from violence and sure destruction, and instead toward peace. Allison tells her that without Maylies and Rainies, Rhaenyra has to pause her pursuit of war in face of being usurped. Alicent says a true queen counts the cost to her people, that she's doing this to keep the realm from bleeding. But Rhaenys responds, And yet you toil, still in service to men. Your father, your husband, your son. You desire not to be free, but to make a window in the wall of your prison. Have you never imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? Chills. Brilliant, brilliant. And I think right there, that is, I think, the thesis of Allison's yeah. character throughout the season. Like, right then and there with that one line, like, that's the conceit. Yeah, and uh, I think we still see Allison still playing it to an extent within those within those uh, walls of the prison. We'll see how it goes next season. As Olivia also described Allison in in a interview, you know, she's trying to, like, move an inch within the binds that she has, and that's what this is, a window in the wall of her prison, and she's still not yeah, there. Yeah, she's okay, she's living in that world still, not. right? That that she she's living confined in that space. She thinks she can't think outside of it. And it's funny because every single person that brings it up to Rainey's like, you should have been queen, you should have been queen. The second that crown went off of her head, you know, that everyone just went, oh, oh sorry, pass it to Viserys instead. My bad, Rainey's. The second that went, it all changed for her. She doesn't live in that box anymore. When they've already rejected her, she's left that box. She doesn't play by those rules anymore. She cares about her family. She cares about her dragon. It's really interesting because everybody just keeps pushing. Well, Rainies, you should have been queen. Rainies, it's so sad you weren't queen. Trying to use that against her, and it's funny to me because it's like, I don't see a single ambition for her to want to be queen anymore. That went away a long time ago. Now she's concerned about setting up a future for her girls so that they don't have to suffer the same way that she did. Right. Like, you want to talk about reluctant rulers? Rainies would have been a wonderful reluctant ruler, but she wasn't willing to put the realm to war mm-hmm. for it. And also it's like, as you said, right, she she gave up on that. She would have, I think it's true, she would have been a great ruler. and If she wanted it. After. If she wanted it, it but... We know how history how we know how history would have painted mm-hmm. her had she pursued it. Right? Ooh, how is that, Eliana? Would you like to tell me? Is there a oh, book you could know. reference? Many, actually. Um, <laughs> Probably a lot. I don't know what it's called. Like, is it called um I don't know, Ice and Bile? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but as you said, right, there's, I think, parallels with, like, she decides to choose a different life without having to let that control her. And it's reminiscent of Reyna, not her granddaughter, but her great-aunt, 
<laughs> I had to think through the family tree for a second. Her great aunt, who was also passed over for the crown and decides to try and find happiness despite. Yeah. Everywhere she goes. Everywhere she goes, Reina. And yet, just sadness follows her. Big sadness. A doom hangs um, over her, you could say. Speaking of the doom... Eamon and Kristen are outmaneuvered by Eric, Ark, and Otto, who meet with the White Worm. But because they chose to meet at an outdoor space, they do see them. Uh, so then they outmaneuver later. Anyways, Mazaria has Egan, who is held safely and soundly, but desires that her own conditions be met to release him to Otto. She wants the fighting pit's clothes, which is a good one. It reminds him that, you know, I could have killed Egan, And then she reminds him once more that there is no power but what the people allow you to take. Yeah, I think that Mizaria, I mean, I was less concerned about the scene in all aspects than what its implications for the plot is, because this was a great scene showing yeah. some sort of stakes for the small folk mattering. And it really says that she is about to be stirring chaos throughout the story, especially now that her house has been burnt down and we know this bitch is going to survive. There's no way she doesn't. Let's be real. It seems we see here. We know it because we read the book. <laughs> well, I, the, hey, the book doesn't matter. It's all made up. We've heard now, so... Oh my god, they're going to bring mail We in. see here that her loyalty is a lot like Varys's in the main series, that at first it seems like it's one way or another, but it's more up to some of the people, not necessarily completely to a member of the crown. There, there's something just a little interesting about how you start off with her being a, allegiance with Damon and his dick, and then his sad dick, and then like she changes allegiances. We see her working with Otto already through the episodes. And now, here Otto is once more, no middleman, meeting her. I don't know, maybe Damon should have stepped it up a little, because I think that she's going to be charged in this version with a lot of the canon things happening on the ground. The dragon pit, I'm sure she'll have a little bit of helping support going on with what's happening. I think that would be a crazy thing to show that she is in cahoots with some of the people at the dragon pit that help, you know, the shepherd, for example. Maybe she helps prop him up. Maybe she... Uh, the, the moon of the three kings. I'm sure she's going to have the power to push that forward. That's going to be really big, right? To show, kind of bring that chaos of those claimants forward of those, A, the bastards under her control, and uh, the people that she works with, blood and cheese. I'm wondering if she won't have a bigger hand than Rhaenyra and Damon in that. If Mazaria pulls strings for what happens, causing chaos, sowing chaos. It is a ladder, as I've been told. Alright, so this is kind of random, but like, you were talking about the connections with the shepherd, if she plays a bigger role in that. I don't think this is actually like a thing, but like, it could be like the kind of maybe ideas of how shepherd, sheep, you use the sheep to create clothing that clothes the people, Ooh. but also worms, white worms, silkworms, and creating cloth as well. I don't know. And also the weaving imagery that's been throughout the series with hands and looms and spiders. I don't know. Something's coming together in my head. It's not like fully mm, formed. Hand turns but... loom. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And then silkworms. And like I'm saying silkworms slash white worms. Silkworms I think are mostly white. And then the sheep and the wool. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Round and round we go. So so something that you were saying about Mazaria, right? And like her her role of like representing the people as our friend Ashea on history of westeros pointed out like it, it kind of starts to lay the groundwork a little bit more for uh maybe we really will get essie and sylvanasand along with game and pale hair as you were uh worried about and everything's gonna be great it could really happen for us i'm i feel dumb having hope i don't know about you 
It's kind of nice. Um, Chloe's laughing. She's like, what it's is It's kind of nice, you I know? I don't know. You were talking about blood and cheese. I think some people are kind of like, maybe blood and cheese won't happen. I think blood and cheese could happen. And this actually sets it up very well, right? Because I think Otto is going to probably renege on his promise in some way, or she'll interpret the burning of her place as going back on that promise. Like, I think it's not difficult for someone to interpret it that way. It's pretty, pretty clear to interpret it that way. Because you pointed out Varys, right, as sort of a, a, an analogous figure. And Varys, while he might Game of Thrones, the television show that the books are based on, use small children, um, or he might represent the people, he does use mm -hmm. small children and mutilate them by uh, removing their tongues to do his bidding. I think if Blood and Cheese still happens just because Mazaria cares about the kids in the fighting pit, when it comes to Otto's broken promise... I love that. Like, I don't see her being. I don't see her being against killing royal kids and being like, "This is what that suffering feels like." All right, now that you've experienced it, are you willing to tolerate it every single day in the streets? Why is it different? I really love that. I, I honestly, I didn't understand some of this dynamic until right now with you in the last couple bits, especially when we talked about you know that. Wait a second, they were already in cahoots. Like. I don't know, that seems suspicious to me. I do think that with Larry's there and with what Larry's does at the end of the episode, starting to think that maybe Otto did also hope to get a couple people roped in on this plot and take care of things, too. That could be interesting if that comes to light. I don't know. What do you mean by take care of things? I'm, I'm too dumb. Like so. maybe the fire being ordered on Mazaria's house wasn't necessarily just from Alicent's favor that we'll talk about today like maybe otto oh, okay also i mean he might not have said it outright to otto but he also didn't say it outright to alicent and he probably was just like cool these guys agree i'll just light her house up because it kind of seemed like he was like i could take care of business for both of you hmm, i could be a family name yeah he's like two birds with one stone he's like am i being <laughs> he's like should i murder um, more <laughs> well he didn't say he was gonna murder Arson and murder may have overlap, but they don't always Well, I don't think they're going to today, because <laughs> that worm is going to crawl on out of the rubble. And yeah, yeah. this is, this is so, not good for that regime to yeah. start. This whole episode is not a good look for this regime. No, it's definitely not, right? You're talking about Nazari's loyalty to people... And it's kind of, it's following the scene right after Allison is talking about telling Rainey's that she counts the cost of the people. And let's be real. We know Otto Hightower does not care about the people. He literally doesn't. He cares about no people. What is love? Otto Hightower doesn't know. Um, but it does show how the regime that Allison is holding up is very hypocritical, which she's kind of starting to realize, but also maybe she kind of already knows. And it does put forth the question of then like, Allison, what is the structure that you are upholding for your illusion of power as all the other people around you undermine you at every single corner? Yeah, she's trying to hold together this entire bit of chaos where everyone is just pulling it apart. Oh, Allison, I do feel for you. I do feel for you because it's just built on nothing. All of this is built on nothing, sister. Bummer. Bummer summer. Bummer for all. all. Eric and Arik find Aegon in the sept, in the silliest place in the fucking world. They're hiding under the table with all the candles on it that his uh, 
I would have picked that hiding spot. Yeah, his too. sister and mother love that place, but it's a good place to be fair. But it's just the funniest place because nobody would have found him. To be fair, like this is a perfect spot, and it does make you wonder if he was like Mrs. White Worm. Please, I don't want to be king. Can you hide me somewhere? I just want to have brothel times and booze till I die. She's like, here, let's just put you in the easiest place possible. Sapped, no one will look there. No one would ever look there for you, Egan. <laughs> pretty funny i bet he thought i mean it was a good idea probably except for the part where someone did know but i bet he thought it was a really good idea but he's also not smart and he was probably drunk when he accepted mm-hmm. this absolutely oh god that is such a drunk hiding spot you are so right <laughs> wow amazing i mean i would have picked that hiding spot see like i said it's a drunk maybe that just like speaks to what i hiding just said spot. yeah <laughs> I've, uh, no eliana you're very bright and beautiful but Maybe not not, not after a bunch of 10% beer. That much, I can tell you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, that was a mistake. <laughs> this bitch got chloe <sighs> He runs. They chase him. They're met on the steps by Eamon and Kristen. They refuse to give him over, and a fight ensues where one of the Erics and Kristen are going at it while Eamon holds tight to his brother and beats the crap out of him a little bit too, which was amazing. And then Eric watches and leaves. Ultimately, Kristen Cole wins, delivering Aegon to Alicent first. But does he win? Question mark. Because Otto had already made the white worm connection. Yeah, that's actually true. Did he win? Um, I guess Alicent did, and maybe that's all that matters to him. It's kind of funny because there's this like irony. There's also this hypocrisy. Because Kristen feels he's like being super like heroic and mm-hmm. dutiful for doing this thing for Allison, in which he's dragging Aegon back to the Red Keep, right? Forcing him to do his duty, forcing him to take the cr- crown, forcing him to be heir. And this is literally what Kristen judged and condemned Rhaenyra for doing to him all of those years ago. Ooh. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe you would choose the Iron Throne over me um, just because you had sex. And it's like, Egan is literally out there watching children fighters and who knows what. And you were forcing him to take He literally throne. sobs as they grab him. He's like, no, please, I'll get on a ship. I'll go east. You can have it. I don't want it. It was actually, that was a great bit of acting. Tom is really killing this role. I yeah. gotta give it up to him. He is... I think I there was a lot of uh, back and forth with the time jump and the younger actors where people were worried because they really came to love the younger actors. And I did too. I love Ty Tennant as Aegon, but Tom's yeah. already sold me. He yes, was the perfect yeah. little Sith baby boy in this episode. Good for him, you <sighs> evil conniving shithead. He really uh, was. He was a standout. I think he he really had, in my opinion, like this great subtlety standout, like hilarious, but also sinister, like balance of performance this episode. Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic. and. I mean, all the actors, I think, apparently had a lot of fun doing these scenes by these steps with their play fighting, coming up with ideas of what they could do. Yeah, and they did a lot of their own stunts. They were definitely stuntmen, but like they did a lot of the stunts themselves as well. The easier stuff that they knew was fine. Uh, That was cool. I was impressed. I like that when actors are like, I could do this, this, this. I'd be into it. I like to watch that happen. They were all like, yeah, I'm into that too. (laughs) Alicent confronts her father in the next scene. He's sealing a letter. When she enters, because as you may know, some battles are won with swords and spears, others with quills and ravens. 
A lot of what we didn't see in the council, I do think, is probably happening there at his desk in some letters that he's sending. Yeah, some people have pointed out smartly and astutely that it uh, parallels the other scene where uh, Otto's also rolling a blunt and then he controls Allison and makes her do his will. No, she doesn't do it this scene, but... What stood out to me when he's like making fun of Elson and be like, you're treating it like a game. And I'm like, the Game of Thrones is serious, Otto. Um, he acts like Allison's just doing it for like, what do you think it is? The prize, a pouch of silver or whatever. I'm fucking up this line, but he says the prize, a pouch of silver. Makes me also wonder how much really did they pay Mazaria for giving up a king? Did they give her a pouch of silver? Because it reminds me of the scene in the Bible, because we are girls gone canon, we talk about the Bible a lot. The price that Judas was paid to betray Jesus. He was given um, a pouch of 30 silver pieces to betray Jesus. He like leads all these people to him and identifies him with a kiss on the cheek. So pouches of silver are very much seen as this kind of betrayal leading someone to their death. Oh, that's great. That's great. And, and that pouch was, it was kind of slim. So maybe it was a pouch of silver. Who knows? That's a really great thought. I don't know. I don't know how fucking, I don't think George knows how his currency works. I'm gonna be real. She declares she holds Aegon and will choose what happens from here on out. And Otto's like, good move, daughter. And she's like, this isn't a fucking Game of Thrones, dad. She confronts him on being nothing but a chess piece in his game this entire time. And he says it was to make their family stronger. Then there are these two lines. In the trailer, they'd been used over and over, mostly on Alicent and Rhaenyra bits. Very misleading, great misdirect. And the lines are, whatever our differences, our hearts remain as one. Our hearts were never one. I see that now. So this is the great reveal. Good misdirect from the trailers. Great reveal that Alicent is like, wow, my dad's a piece of shit. Again, would have liked it to be a little louder. That's okay. He goes on to say something to her about how now the debt comes true. Or sorry, and now the debt comes due about the great sacrifices made to take the Iron Throne, that now finally they are reaping their reward. She says, a debt you were happy enough to pay, which is where he argues with her, this isn't the King of the Narrow Sea. And he's like, yes, well, you know, what can I do? You were a faithful servant, Otto, Viserys says in King of the Narrow Sea, while firing him. The crown and the realm both owe you a debt that can never be repaid. So that is the debt he's talking about. Do they? Yeah, right? I don't think they do. Viserys, you should have said that. But Viserys had told him a debt should be repaid. And now the debt comes due, Otto says in this episode. He thinks he's getting a debt owed to him. He thinks he's really owed something. He thinks he's really owed something for what? Fucking everything up. It's, It's wild. Like, Otto has sacrificed nothing. You know, he is... Asked for nothing. Allison did all the work. Allison was the one who suffered. And Otto's all like, mm, sacrifices have to sometimes be made. I'm like, Otto, literally, what have you sacrificed at all in your life? Nothing. I mean, maybe to him, it, it is a Nisa Nisa thing, right? Like, he's like, my relationship with my daughter, I guess. But like, because he fed her, he I guess. But like, maybe he does. Because there is something in this scene. So... He calls her reluctant to murder, or he calls her reluctance to murder Rhaenyra squeamishness. And she's like, reluctance Mm. to murder is not a weakness. Another theme in this episode. She says that she is going to send terms to Rhaenyra, true terms. Terms that aren't, you know, going to make Rhaenyra want to die of shame. That her husband would have desired mercy be shown to his daughter. Otto argues her husband, or you, her childhood companion. 
both could be true. Yeah, I, I, I do think, though, it is very true that Viserys would not have wanted this. I do strongly believe Yeah, that. his heir, his daughter that he loved, his only child. Oh my his God. only child. Viserys. Alicent, <laughs> uh, however, has very firm plans. I thought this was very interesting, right? That even though she wanted Aegon first, it was so that her plan can go through. That Kristen Cole be named Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, and that at dawn, Aegon be anointed in front of the city with Blackfire and Aegon I's crown. And this is her trying to be serious, right? Like, this is her being like, Dad, I have a real job now. I'm the Queen Regent, and I have power, and I have my son in hand, and he is the king. Because she's really throttling the power through him now. And Otto says, In certain lights, you look just like your mother. And then she gives him a really big fat fucking eye roll and leaves, which I really respect that. I do. Amazing. It was so good because I remember when that happened, I was like, what a strange non sequitur. <laughs> Something allowed. <laughs> and it was, right? Like, I mean, that's been Otto's way of dealing with everything this entire time since the beginning of the series. He loves to just misdirect <laughs> over and over. And Allison sees through it now. She's not falling for it anymore. You know, I love that like the cinematography shows that they're divided using the window and that division in the window. And finally, like he murmurs after she leaves, as you wish. And I don't know. I was kind of mad. I'm like, Otto, you don't get to fucking quote Wesley from The Princess Bride like that. Like, don't act like you even have the same intent. How dare you? It's sad, though, in a way, because I I don't want to humanize Otto. But since we have the time, I guess he. (laughs) No, we (laughs) really don't have the time. So I'll be I'll be really swift. He's still a father, even if he's a bad father, and he has sacrificed their relationship. He has put her through hell. Maybe he does see that, you know, as you wish. He says, sadly, we'll do it your way, but I mean, because the truth of it is still war. She can have her way, they can send terms, but Rhaenyra, rightfully so, will be fucking pissed. She will not, whatever terms you send her, it's not unlike... When Rob sent his terms to King's Landing, it kind of makes me think of, in a way, like how he mm. sent these terms that seemed reasonable. I mean, they are reasonable in, in some terms, but also, like, not <laughs> really. Like, also, you know, yeah, yeah. it's war. Yeah. It, it's This is one of those battles that cannot be won with a quill. This battle will unfortunately be won with death and dragons and fire and blood. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And what you're saying about. I don't know yet. Well, we'll see how Otto feels about Allison. But what you're saying parallels, as we've said, right? The relationship Allison has with mm-hmm. Aegon. Absolutely. Now we get to the big stuff. Larry's awaits Allison. He reveals how Otto found Aegon first through a spy network, one that was watching her now. Like her lady-in-waiting, Talia. He's like, do you want to know more of all the people that are betraying you? It reminds me of Helena embroidering the spider earlier, weaving the web. Larry's literally calls them a spider web of people and weavers. He calls them weavers. So earlier, Helena was embroidering a spider. Makes you think that this war is probably... These two right here, Larry's and Missaria, are going to probably come to a little bit of a war between the two. We may see that come up a little bit, which could be interesting. And That is interesting. Yeah, because he has kind of, I mean, he's got the jail. He has power over people there that we see him exert. The worm versus the firefly. Mm. There's a lot of bug stuff. Absolutely. And now that we got Riv Beesbury, Rip, 
rip to a real one. We have room for more. For the bee to fly around. He recommends cutting this all off at the head. Also, he masturbates to her perfectly great feet, apparently. Let's talk about this scene, the foot fetish scene, because I've seen a lot of a lot of chit chat around the water cooler today on the internet. You know, Twitter, that's the water cooler and other sites of everyone freaking out over this scene. Personally, I was uncomfortable immediately, which in my book, that means it's a great scene because media should make you a little uncomfortable. Hmm, If I was comfortable while watching that scene, maybe I should move on from this show. (laughs) It, It was uncomfortable. I think that's a good philosophy. Yeah, I think you should always have something that gets you a little uncomfortable or makes you out of your element when watching a media. Because otherwise, I mean, unless you're watching the same show every day, all the time, which sometimes that happens to me too. But you should always have like new media you're watching. You know, that's all. You should always be revolving around new media. And some of it should make you uncomfortable because that's how you grow and learn from certain things, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I don't think we're, uh, we're, we're not like... Uh saying that you should watch things that like gross you out or yeah no no but like yeah yeah out of your element because this isn't like i don't know there's something going on here it makes you you think think. this one really makes you think uh there's a lot going on it's really good timing actually because last week we were on with manu in our brand stark episode and it was brand six for Game of Thrones. We talked a lot about sexuality and disability when it came to brand because brand seems to start to be hitting an age of, you know, sexual development with no guidance and no help to get through it. We talked a little bit about repression and some of these behaviors that when you have repressed sexuality and when you have a disability, many things can happen. Many things can happen. Many things can happen. Like you might become magical. I'm just kidding. I haven't yet. I'm waiting for it. Now, you, you're magical to me. Mm, I love you. So You're a miracle that has come into my life, my queen of love and beauty. It's not the same as magic, Eliana, you dumb bitch. I love you. Is it? Is it? Is it not? <laughs> Our booty's not magical? Okay, well, that's true. <laughs> is love, is friendship not magic? She's a smart bitch after all. My God. My God. So this scene is all about power and control, even from the way that it's worded from the get-go. Even from the get-go, Larrys is using his power here. He says, I found out something you should know. And then he starts to wheel it out and unweave it like a spider web, asking, "How? I wonder how it is your father found Aegon first. And he uses that time to show her what he wants because she knows what he wants in order to give her this information. And so, of course, he begins to watch her as she removes her stockings and show her feet and it's leveraged this information and how he tells it to her her one burning desire to know how her evil devil father got the info before her uh that she won't get that information without giving this to him and it's power it's control he has never had a woman of her stature of a queen at his whim at his power at his mercy doing what he wants there's also the other side of it that she is being exploited and probably has been for six years if not really if you look at it from the first episode that he really chats with her 16 years eyeing her at the wedding feast and targeting her uh targeting her in the godswood when everyone is gone at driftmark that same episode he sees her isolated he sees her alone and he has very abusive tendencies toward her 
in order to keep her that way and keep her alone. Uh, episode six, she is in the time jump. Alicent has no one at court except for Larry's. We see that isolates her also with the servants, as you pointed out to me offline, that her maids, you know, obviously are A, taking information about her meeting with Larry's places and also seem to possibly be laughing at her. Yeah, the isolation is really interesting because you're talking about this in in the context of power and control, right? And uh, knowledge is power, right? And And the way that now that you've brought it back to episode five, I should, I think I got it. There's only like nine episodes <laughs> out. Episode five, uh, when he he uses that knowledge to, as you said, not to edify her, but to isolate her from Rhaenyra. Yeah, he holds the sex that he hears about, and he does it in a very very quiet way. He doesn't say it outright, but he's like, huh, she took a very interesting tea. Isn't that so interesting that your little virginal friend that claims she's a virginie virgin in front of this weirwood tree to you took that tea? Hmm. Hmm. So interesting. Hmm. And he kind of, you know, furthers that doubt, plants that seed of doubt in her. And it's a slow reveal is that that's the other thing, in my opinion, that he starts to target her in that episode. And the next time we see them, at dinner in episode six, there is a slow moment where she takes off her shoes and she unrolls her stockings, but she doesn't give the whole show and display that she's giving now in episode nine. So in episode six, that's the 10 year time jump. So we see that it's slowly begun. His slight kink has begun and he's pushing to, you know, see her, I don't know, pushing to see her do more each time is kind of how I'm taking it, because there it was brief. It was very fleeting. And here it's not. Here it's a whole entire ordeal, and you can see how uncomfortable she is. You can see that she has to turn away, disassociate. You can see her eyes glazed over, maybe some tears almost kind of glittering in there. She's very upset, and this is, yeah, she's not, it's not good. It's not great. I hate it for her. I mean, no one's there to protect her anymore at all. You know, uh, Viserys dies and he escalates his advances and she's even more alone than other. That's true. She had one shot at breaking that isolation. It's all gone now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it all went out the window. And in regards to the fetish, it's not just about the king. It's not just about feet. You're talking about it in the context of power, right? Um, Sweet Sun Rayon on Twitter pointed this out and also like so did so did our friend Matt, Joe Magician, you know, a lot of it is a uh, it's about controlling her. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's an essence of it where he's getting off on her shame yeah. on that she doesn't want to do this, yet he can make her do it. It's her humiliation too. Humiliation. Yes, the humiliation. Yes, that is part of that is part of I think what's going on here too, uh with that with that um King, especially because you know she she's has these values as we know, right? Mm-hmm. She she she's been very into the seven for a bit, um, and like I wouldn't say in terms of the timeline that we know. Uh, you were talking about the 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 stalking scene, right? In episode six, six mm-hmm. in episode six, so that occurs a little bit before she even before Heron Hall. So there's like a little bit of the teasing going on before there. But it speaks to 
again, that idea of Allison just trying to create windows in her jail cell, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, as you said, it, it's kind of like she doesn't know yet any other way to try and get power. And she doesn't have the power in this situation, right? Like, all she knows is that maybe people want her body, maybe people want her for what she resembles, but not that they necessarily respect her. Not that they believe she has any agency or power in and of herself. And so, like, when she goes to Kristen, she says, do this for any affection you have for me, mm -hmm. right? Again, it's like, it, it's that idea of, like, some sort of a... Um, Prove to me you want me. Desire. For my values, my queenliness. The only the only currency that she has been taught that she has value in right now, besides, like, motherhood. The two, the two currencies she has right now are motherhood and desire. Right, and she's trying to find another way, which we see when she speaks to Rainey's, but it doesn't pan out. Um, and and in a way, it's reminiscent of Cersei. Not exactly. Cersei, I think, would be like, "I don't care. This is what I got to do. I am glad to do it. My dad's dead, and I'm free." Um, not exactly right, but um, Cersei absolutely owns that. Alicent does not. Like I think, um, as you've pointed out, like she, she doesn't want to do this. There's that disgust, and so. But there's a mirror in the way that this is the only way that she can control the people that she has around her. They don't love her. Viserys, and I think that's part of the sorrow, right? Not only is it like, yeah, she had a real affection for Viserys. It's not just a loss of power. Like, that was the closest thing she had to a real human connection. It wasn't a real one, right? Because he also just uses her body. But it was the closest fucking thing she got to someone maybe caring a little bit about her opinion, but not entirely because he doesn't give a fuck when their kid's like, I get taken out because he only has one kid, apparently. Yeah. I think there's a good amount. I mean, surprisingly, they have a couple of characters that are disabled in this show, which I, I love to see. It doesn't often happen on shows. A lot of shows are getting a lot better about it, including this representation. Larry's is very much a side character, a background character in the pages of Fire and Blood. True. We, would, we don't even really need to know his name for some of the things he does in that book. It could have just been some random Great hooded one. guy, and we would have nodded our head and said, all right, George. And I really like that he is at least getting to be a character, because between him and Allison both, if we were adapting straight from the book with nothing added, A, this show would be over in two seasons, flat. B, they don't do anything in the book after this. Like, Larry says a couple of background murders, Allison is mean a couple times, and then she gets locked up in the dungeons and then someday dies. Um, they don't have friendships. They don't have quotes. They don't, you know, they don't do anything. And so I like that they are at least adapting something about them, giving these characters something to play off of. And it's also setting up for season two for her to have that as a big, I mean, I would say even a villain in her life. He's not a fleshed out character. He's got a lot of mystery around him, especially with his ending when he's like, please cut off my foot. my foot before he's, when he's executed, right? Like that's, that's part of his ending. I don't know how they'll do it in the show. Cause I know like that could be definitely like read as strange and problematic, but, um, and I understand the criticism of like, why are we fleshing out this, uh, a uh, very prominent disabled character in this way. But I also think that the way that they're doing him. The way that I've seen a lot of these go, especially when so much focus is given to him, unlike with, for example, Gregor, mm -hmm. right? Like, for example, Sandor. Sandor is someone that uh, we see that with. When you give that much focus to someone, it's be or or to Jamie, it's because you're going to reveal something about them 
that humanizes it or like gives a layer to that later on that makes it more complex. Absolutely. That is like a hundred, like he's going to have something, there's more to him than just this. This is just the curve. This is it. I mean, he makes it to the, mostly the end. Yeah, no, that's true. He does make it to the end. And like, I think they're playing him a lot like book five Tyrion, mm. right? Like, and I think that's, that's important because like, I think that the idea that Tyrion is disabled gets like forgotten by people in, when it comes to the show, because he was such a main character. He was such a charismatic character. Uh, and he was given a lot of like good things. And obviously the show terribly, terribly handled the brand mm. storyline and that concept, right? Um, they were they they lost that idea of like intersectionality mm -hmm. when it comes to a lot of these things. And disabled people can be characters. They're allowed to be characters. They don't just have to be the good boy, the good king that sits in a wheelchair and his eyes roll back and he has visions. That's that's just one shade of a disabled person. This story has so many different shades of disability that it can portray. And I love that. Let him be a character. Let him have a plot. Because otherwise he has nothing. And he ends up dying someday after committing half-ass murders. All arsons, actually. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Arsons. <laughs> arson, yes. Again, arson doesn't necessarily always mean murder. Though arson is sometimes, I guess, asso more associated with, like, psychopathic... Whatever. Whatever. Not, not every... People didn't necessarily die. Anyways, even within Bran's own storyline, both in the show and in the books, like there's that exploration with Hodor and um, that exertion of power over someone yes. else when you feel powerlessness in your life. And I'm not saying this is the case. I'm not at all saying that's the case for like all disabled people. Please do not like think that I'm saying that like, uh, you know, yeah. we know many people who do not do that. But like, I, I, I've also like seen it and been on like experience that as well right like i've seen also like how that can really eat at you and how uh that can happen people people are flawed regardless you know mm -hmm. like internally when it comes to your emotions people like it, their interiorities are flawed whether you're disabled or or able yeah it's something we talked about in brand six that you know it's the eternal child syndrome that people automatically classify you as a child like disabled people we can be evil we can be good. We can be evil. We can do good things and bad things. I mean, that's just anyone can do good things and bad things. You don't have to be disabled to do good or bad. Yeah, that's true. You know, you can be able-bodied or you disabled. As you said, good is something you do. Yes. It's not, it's not something you are. It's something you do. Yeah, I think we see, interestingly, I don't know, we'll see how it plays out also with Aemond. And also Aegon, now that I think about mm -hmm. it. He also will be a case of that. And when he gets baked yeah, in his armor. Yeah, he will also become... Like a little pizza bagel. <laughs> that that is one one of the many things that happens to his body. That's true. Eric busts into Rainey's room to free her, and they attempt to exit the keep. But then they get herded in the procession, uh, in the procession of small folk going into the dragon pit for Aegon's coronation, which is now happening. And of course, the herding and the sh it's kind of like the shepherding, right? They even like show us like the little sheep, and I'm like, I see you, I see you, Ryan Condal. It's maybe signaling to us about the shepherd who's going to come in later on with his like prophecies and you know rallying the small folk etc anyways the king's guard of course does offer to rescue the princess rainies from her tower or the cell happens a lot in a song of ice and fire maybe kind of like i don't know sandor and sansa sansa refuses right mm -hmm. rainies does not because let's get the fuck out of here but it, i think they do this choice intentionally with the storytelling and directing to have 
Eric fail mm-hmm. because they want to show Rainies as a princess rescuing herself in that moment. She does it on her own terms with her dragon. Yeah, I love that. It's very much, I mean, it's very her. They pass Caswell's hanging body, and that's very sad. That's how we see, oh, if that's what happened to Caswell, that probably means everything else isn't going great for the other prisoners. She stops and gives pause at Balerion before she says goodbye to her family's house. Right? I mean, this is kind of a this is a tragic way of her to exit it. She sees that Caswell's been murdered. She sees, you know, she goes to the house. She's like, wow, that's yeah. my house. Like, I lived there at one point. Like, that's my family's stuff. And they have, ooh, man, it's a mess in there. Goodbye, Lord Caswell. She gives a pause at Balerion's skull. And it's very emotional. And then they get out into the street where she kind of eric says to her he's like you well you need to get a boat she's like no i need to get maylies and he's like no you need to get a boat there's no time to get maylies they'll expect you to be there he says which through all of this i have to say i was like this is game of thrones you guys should everyone's getting herded into this place this is not good something's gonna go bad and i'm glad that i followed my senses (laughs) (laughs) the difference of leaving versus a boat versus her leaving with her dragon that was big to me because it screams fire and blood, not the old, the brave, the true, right? She's not Rainey's Velaryon. She's Rainey's Targaryen. I mean, you, mm. you can take the girl out of the house, but you can't take the house out of the girl, okay? That's fire and blood. I mean, it's <laughs> think of her death. Princess Rainey's made no... Sorry, think of her death, everyone. <laughs> uh, Princess... Think of her death. Princess Rainey's made no attempt to flee. With a glad cry and a crack of her whip, she turned Maylie's toward the foe. She was not going out without a fight, and she allows herself to get shuffled in with the rest of the small folk into this place. Meanwhile, Mizaria's house is on fire because Larry's only knows one trick of how to kill people. I hope season two he learns a couple more. Rainies gets separated from Eric. She gets forced to go to the coronation. Worst day ever. And then, Alicent and Aegon travel to the dragon pit in carriage. Aegon gives a monologue about how his father really didn't like him. And he really didn't want him to be heir. This is ridiculous. Like, you are grasping, woman, is basically what he's saying. And poor Allison, because I do feel bad, because I'm like, he did kind of say it. Like, unfortunately, he did say it before he went to bed on accident. He didn't mean it, but he did say it. Allison hands him the dagger, telling him it's highly important he doesn't kill his half-sister all over this. She's like, you need to understand me, though. You can't kill Rhaenyra. Then... Classic. Aegon says, do you love me? And she calls him an imbecile in response. It's really well done. They're doing this like ambiguity, right? With those character moments and they cut off from there. Like, does she say yes? Does she not? But she slightly smiles when she says you imbecile. Kind of makes you wonder how Joffrey they're going to take him. You know, if that's her one wish. I mean... That's true. I mean, he's he's very much portrayed much more sympathetically than Joffrey was at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? And even Ryan Condal says he could have broken another way in a different family. But yeah, uh, again, Tom's doing a great job with this acting. Love his like weird little like cynical laughs. He's like, there's no way that my dad fucking said that. He like didn't know I existed. And she's like, he did. And it's like, no, Egan's kind of right. He didn't really say that. Anyways, last episode, we talked about uh, children knowing how to read and write and speak. Valerian. I'm gonna throw it out there. I don't think Aegon knows how to uh, how to do any of those things with Valerian. Like, 
maybe Helena does. I don't know, but who's gonna teach her? Other, I mean, like other than the dragon commands, right? But like in terms of actually as a as a language, I don't know. Uh, Helena's got other hobbies. She's not that interested in it. I think the only one who would really know in any capacity is Aemond. Mm -hmm. I don't think, uh, I doubt any of them like really, really speak Valyrian. Again, maybe Aemon, so. I mean, who would he speak it with? That prophecy's, right? Like, that prophecy's just really lost then, right? The prophecy on the dagger, who's gonna be able to read that? None of them. Pearls before swine. Ah, uh, and none of them know to put it in the fire either to reveal its secrets. Absolutely. How would I know about the scratch and sniff dagger? I fucking well, and that's kind of the ultimate sign of legitimacy, right? Like they think because they have Blackfire and the crown, yeah. that's legitimacy, and they do have the dagger, which is legitimacy. But the joke's on them because they don't know the prophecy and they don't know what that means. I mean, that's the true. That's how you're a true Targaryen heir is knowing the prophecy. That's your sign of legitimacy. And the irony is, it's a bitter irony because no one can know that you know it because that means everyone that knew it is dead. The irony throne. Oh my god, so we get to the coronation. Oh my god, mommy's little Sith Lord, here he comes. He's coming up the Aww. aisle in his little all-black morning garb. I love that he's in all-black, Aemond is in all-black. Technically his house colors. Helena's in blue, like her dragon. That's my girl. She's like, I'm not gonna wear green. I'm not gonna wear black. I'm gonna wear blue like Dreamfire. Aww. Ooh. It looks good on her, though. She looks very beautiful. It's very gorgeous color on her. In fact, I'm kind of like, damn, do I make that one? What do I make? What yeah. costume am I making from the series? Oh, my, I'm, oh my, well, gosh. What? my husband might have already agreed to one. No reveals yet? I'm uh, showing you, but everyone else will have to oh, wait for the okay. reveal. We're going as the ultimate couple here. Come fascinating. on. Fascinating. Fascinating. <sighs> fascinating. All right. All right. At first, Aegon doesn't like it. He doesn't really like this corner. He's like, I can't believe I'm actually like doing this. Oh god, why is everyone like swimming their swords right behind me? But then he suddenly gets a little excited once he sees the crowd of people cheering for him. And then he'd like bust his sword in the air. And again, I I cannot speak enough. Uh, maybe I could, but I just love Tom Glen Carney's like acting here, right? Like I love the way that he shows this turn for the character. They do like all of the casting, all of the actors so far are doing an amazing job with like these small, like, emotions. Mm -hmm. If Aegon is swallowed up by this kingship, it's because it's literally the first time in his life he has ever known respect and adoration because his parents never gave it to him. His family thinks he's a dingus. You can see it, like, when they're supposed to bow to him. They're like, oh, God, I can't believe I'm really doing this. They, like, look away from him. It's only Otto that looks at him with reverence from his entire family, but that's because Otto sees him as a pawn, as his ticket to power. and Oh, that's funny, because to me, I saw it as he was the very last one to finally give his approval. Like, the the most reluctant. Because honestly, if Otto had grabbed him, he might have died. Shit. Maybe he would have had an accidental... Oops! Oopsies! Eamon's king! No, I think Otto would have been excited. <laughs> he would have been like, we did it. But, yeah, I love Tom's performance with this. Like, when he turns around, he's like, oh my god. This is what love feels like. And it's not like true love, right? Because it's from afar. Those people don't really know him. Yeah. But that and then like the Power. weird little awkward fist bumps that he keeps giving as he turns around. I'm like, it's just hilarious. Like, I love that little fist pump. It's so dumb. I love it. It's so good. Yeah, I love when he <sighs> takes out black fire, which that's about when yes. Rainy makes her escape. She's like, I've seen a fucking enough of this. She's like, I'm going to puke. Uh, but when he takes out Blackfire and he really starts to get into it, and that great shot of the pommel with his glove, I'm holding it. None of you can see yes, this. Eliana yes, can. I'm yes, holding yes. my pommel in the air. 
really good stuff. Really great. I mean, the whole scene is gorgeous. They have the the banner behind too. I had to do a double take at first when we were both watching it, but the black banner yeah. with the gold dragon is right there. So yeah, you gotta check it out if you didn't see. It's right there. Well done. Well done. They put the sigil in the show. Oh my god. So while everyone's captivated by baby Sith, Rainy sneaks into the pits below. It's a lot like the same feeling of you're like in a concert and you're trying to get out of the middle to go get a drink. It's so fucking true. So true, bestie. It's, it's really true. It? Uh, and then you're going to beer all over yourself. You're like, this wasn't even worth it. I should have just waited. Oh, fuck. There's an incredible amount of detail on the first couple close-up looks of the dragon pit. There are some beautiful portraits throughout the doors of dragons and Valyrian dragon tamers. And then there are glyphs on the outside. And thanks to David J. Peterson, he decoded some of it and put it up for us. And it reads, hold on, my Valyrian's not great. So learned hand podcast, if you're listening, don't listen. And anyone else, I hope you're not listening if you know high Valyrian. Tego Elior Vetir Daro Likis Kessa, which means the first law of the land shall be the king's peace. Please don't score that. I don't want ratings. You don't need to tell me if it was good. I even got the little R in there, though, so I mean. What does that mean? The first law of the land shall be the king's peace. Mean. That, like, you gotta keep the king's peace? Yeah, that keeping the king's peace is most important first, which is ironic. Oh, that's pretty ironic. Yeah, considering what they're doing. <laughs> the sur- ah, the peaceful king. The series, the peaceful happen. Like, whatever that means. Yeah. I was like, ooh, you made that up. No one remembered that. Speaking of history remembers names, no one remembered that name. Um, <laughs> do you remember his Stop blood? Stop trying to make fetch happen, blood, Otto. A lot of blood happened. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so the, the doors, uh, I was looking at the way that they made it in the house that dragons built, um, which Chloe told me exists. Uh, okay. So the huge like sculptures like the, apparently they did a lot of carving and these beautiful like reliefs and stuff for the interior of the dragon pit but they also as you said did some uh great work trying to conceptualize the doors because they couldn't necessarily sculpt all of it because it was supposed to be enormous because they're made for dragons um but the idea of the sculptures on the doors kind of reminds me a little bit of rodan's the gates of hell and maybe this is just top of mind because I've been able to see a version of them recently uh, in Philadelphia. There is a version. There's a couple different versions of this. Uh, but, you know, Rodin was commissioned to create, like, some doors for a decorative arts museum in Paris. And it was actually initially inspired by Dante's Inferno. Uh, this, this entire story, it's going to be a lot like hell soon, right? Like, it eventually evolves to be much bigger than that. Some of his most famous works, like The Thinker, The Three Shades, or The Kiss, were actually conceived initially as part of the gates. And then they were later like removed, enlarged, or cast as independent pieces separate from it in a way too. But um, essentially, in the end, the doors end up really becoming this like portrayal of forbidden love, punishment, and suffering. And also they suggest unapologetic sexuality, maternal love, and contemplation, uh, according to this description from, I want to say, yeah, probably the Philadelphia Museum of Arts' site, but I might have gotten it from a different site. Who knows? But anyway, uh, yeah, things are about to become pretty hellish soon in Westeros. That's so great. Very Dante. Very. And the next scene is kind of similar to that when we talk about some of these great 
agonizing emotions at the gates of hell, for example, because we finally are getting the beast beneath the boards. Rainies and Maylies burst through the boards, glowering down at the green faction and take their leave, but not before Maylies gives an extraordinary roar of displeasure at Alicent and company. Rip to the small folk. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Why are you laughing at me being sorry? I don't, Why are you laughing? This isn't a funny moment. Sorry. This is very serious. Nothing. I'm sorry. You're right. It's not funny. All the small it's not funny. This is not a comedy. If it was a comedy, we'd have more Iron Rod jokes. Um. Communist King Amond. Just kidding. Sorry, I can't even finish that sentence. <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh. So, yeah, I mean, see what happened to revolutions in blood? Um, anyways, that, that was a joke. That was literally a joke. <laughs> so, uh, before this moment, we've seen a lot of Rainies dressed in navies and, like, teal Valerian colors. Finally, in this moment, as she's on top of Melee's and here in the Dragon Pit, she is donning the black and red of House Targaryen. Yes, absolutely. Her choosing the dragon over the sea once more. Um, big display of power in a lot of ways. Alicent said to her earlier on, first of all, she said, you and I can rule gently and help the men decide what to do, cousin. And then she tells her, ring, my, ring the bell when you figure out your answer. Well, the bells are ringing right now in King's Landing. And this is her answer. There's almost a mother's mercy to it, right? She doesn't, she could, she could have swiped them all down. Uh, but she doesn't because she knows that Alicent loves her children and she knows what Alicent is doing and she sees right through her. She sees that it's a mother, a mother's love protecting her children. But also she sees that she needs to go tell Rhaenyra like right now. And not only is she giving her this quick mercy of not murdering her for once, with her dragon thank god uh that could be messy but also she is like she's actually i don't know she's also showing her that it she won't bend that same way necessarily right she's not going to bend to those rules and live in that prison because she doesn't have to she has a dragon that's true she doesn't have to she has a dragon you know people are like why didn't she just like burn them there and it's like because the book says that we needed to have a whole war and then there's questions of like well if that was the case then why did they shoehorn the scene in and i i don't know i don't really care <laughs> um, it, it 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 makes sense to me like the choice that rainies makes tracks is consistent for me for who rainies is right because if she was the kind of person who would burn down people who were usurping mm -hmm. a claim she would have done it the first time around and she's giving them a warning Right? Like, this was their warning. Like, so you know, I'm going to get the other dragons. Good luck. And not just that, but she had to get out. Like, the beast beneath the boards, she had to get out somehow. Like, how was she going to get out? And, I don't know, she had to get out. She was being held hostage and her dragon was being held hostage. I mean, that's a, it's kind of a serious offense. I think that's that's the point, right? Like, as you said, right? She says, why are you trying to make a window out of your prison each time? And I'm butchering the quote once more. But she's literally blowing a hole through the ceiling. Yeah, exactly. There's like a, that's not a choice. If she's offered that choice within the confines of either you're a fucking hostage um, and work with us or you don't. That's not power. That's imprisonment. That's mm. not ruling. That's coercion? I don't know. I don't know the proper terms, but that's not mm -hmm. power. That's not agency. Yes. You don't 
So she forges her own path forward for that. And I think it's important also that she, she doesn't subscribe to the idea of like, I know that people have critiqued uh, the, the, the director's comments of Eve or maybe Eve Vest. I don't remember. I know that there's been interviews in the past day and I can't keep them all straight in my head that uh, Rainey's doesn't burn them because it's not her war. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's not. It's just not within her nature to do so. That's her family. If she wanted to do it, she would have done it the first time. Also, literally, Allison says to Otto, that's not weakness. Choosing not to murder someone is not a weakness. She says that in this episode. That's true. I mean, it's one of the themes, Eliana. It is a theme. It is a theme. It's important. We see it is important to Egan's rule. Mm. Right, he doesn't murder everyone, and I know they were talking about this on the official podcast in one of the episodes of like, Igan doesn't burn everyone because he needs people alive in order to unify the realm for the threat. All right, reluctance to murder is not a weakness. Um, though people will point out that yes, she murdered all those small folk, so that is true. To to be frank, like, and this isn't an excuse, but like the the nobility just doesn't. Care. Oh god, yeah, about the small folk. No, that's never in question, I feel like, in this entire story. Like, the whole point is that later, because they don't care so much about the fucking small folk, the small folk murder all their dragons. Like, that's a literal plot point in this story. That's true. And also in this very same episode- I bet this is part I of mean, that. Yeah. That's- I, I saw somebody speculating on Twitter, I want to say, that what if the shepherd is someone who survives this? Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? They were shepherded into there, um, and yeah. But like, also, it makes sense for her to not want to ally with the Greens, right? Like, how's she gonna, how's she gonna put up with this farce? Mm -hmm. And granted, you know, Rainey's isn't out here fighting for all equal rights and like dismantling the feudal system. But you know, uh, Allison brought up like, don't you want that future for her granddaughters? Like, don't you want them to inherit House Valerian? Well, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen when you reinforce a system of like men inherit, right? And so yeah, I thought that was the opposite of what we're that's doing. That's a big now, part giving girls rights. Yeah, they're all like, "Well, why would you support Rhaenyra for all this?" Well, it's like, well, maybe you know, obviously Rhaenyra completely biffs it later on. Uh, somehow she completely biffs it by being like, "Actually, no, uh, we're gonna uphold that, and only I was I was meant to inherit because that's like." Was an exception, but I mean, because she loses. <laughs> I mean, she's losing. Yeah, she's lo she's losing. Yeah. She's pushed into a corner, but also Rainey's is dead by then. But Rainey's, I think, was fighting for. If Rhaenyra can get the claim, that means Rainey's meant was meant to get her claim, and that means that Lena could have inherited. That means Bela and Reyna could have inherited. It's not just like one yeah. thing. It's all the dominoes fall when you make that kind of change. Yeah, and we'll never see it. Also, until later, um, kings and queens decide to suck less. Yeah, actually, that's true. We won't find it till. Oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, there are flaws in this scene. I know one of the flaws people bring up is, like, how does she get out of the door? I thought it was closing. You were talking about the shepherd. I think it's kind of like. The only explanation that makes sense to me, and it could work, right? Is that we see the swarms of King's Landers trying to get out of there, and that their panic and strength push the door open in a way that Caswell individually with his all, all his nobility couldn't mm -hmm. you know it's about how the power the people have they give it and they can take it away especially when it comes to the dragons in the dragon pit yeah that's a great call um because yes she you know exploded a handful or several handfuls of citizens 
and probably a few more after that. But like, also, maybe she freed them. Good Queen Rainies. I'm just kidding. From the confines of this horrible world. I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I will once again. I will once again say that I hate agreeing with Frank, but you know, Frank Baum, our friend. I hate to be Frank. At Frank Baum, B U M B on uh, Twitter, you know, pointed out like it was as a show of power, as a spectacle of it, it was effective. Is it good? I don't know. Probably not on a moral level, but like, was it effective? Does it, is it consistent with Rainius' character? Am yeah. I watching this show to find out who's morally good or not? No. Not one bit. <laughs> I'm here to have fun. I'm sorry if you people don't want dragons bursting through the fucking floor on your Game of Thrones dragon show, but I'm built different. I don't care what you do. Do it. <laughs> All of the dragons I like die anyway. All the characters oh I love die. I have nothing to lose. Literally everyone dies. <laughs> Historically, with history, everybody dies. <sighs> everyone, you know. Someday we'll die. Mm. Instead of saying all of your goodbyes. Well, next time on Arrested Development, Rainey's warns Rhaenyra she's being usurped while a gold, tan, yellow, I don't know, whatever color dragon flies, guessing a strong boy dragon. I have no uh, uh, big thoughts on which uh, dragon this is. I just wanted to point out that in the behind the scenes, we saw that amongst all the little eggs, there's this one egg that's really different. It's not scaled. It's smooth and looks marbly and purpley. And what is it? That's it. That is interesting. I was noticing that too when you pointed it out. I just wish I knew. Maybe it's just one that didn't work out. (sighs) Maybe it's a fun one. Yeah, maybe it's for funsies for someone to take home. Damon tells Rhaenyra over the painted table she cannot bend the knee to the high towers because they stole her birthright. Aemond unveils his smiling eye. The painted table, we see many people looming over it, and they are looming over, looking from King's Landing north, through the Riverlands to the north. There's a voiceover of Rhaenys saying the men standing around the table urge to push Rhaenyra to war, likely to Corlys. So I don't know if I remember the painted table glowing Mm -mm, before, do you? This is a very cool uh, new feature that I did not know that this table had. Excited. Um, Light, bright shit. And just from this preview, I feel like we're going to see a big difference between the way that Rhaenyra's council goes and the way the small council goes, right? Like you can see that Rhaenyra's council, they're like looking to her and they treat her with this respect. And I think that'll be meant to intentionally contrast with how Alicent is just like pushed aside by the small council that she thought she had power over. It's also kind of hysterical how lax their small council is. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be okay. Next episode, I'm sure we'll see a little yeah. bit more. Like, we'll see Aemond being discharged. Aemond possibly being discharged. And won't see Olivia. Obviously, we won't see Allison, But we might still see a little King's Landing in a couple flashes. Who knows? Uh, maybe it'll all happen at Storm's End and all at Dragonstone. We'll find out. A piece is moved to Winterfell on the painted table. And there's a shot of someone speaking with Harold Westerling and Stefan Darklin at his side. And then there's a shot of many swords following this. Jake and Luke are flanked by their betrothed, and there is a voiceover saying, send us, mama, we'll win the kingdom for you, basically. He's like, send us, we'll we'll win them. Shot of Storm's End. Oh my god, Vagar on, and Aemond, I would say Vagar on Aemond. Aemond on Vagar, and Luke is running, so that's no good. He's probably going to mount his dragon. 
The shot of Vagar comes after that is so big. You see Storm's End, and then you see oh, Vagar. Yeah. That's a yeah. huge beast. That's amazing. It's a big fucking dragon. Eric brings Jaehaerys yeah. One's crown to Rhaenyra. And we have a voiceover, I believe it might be from Damon even, that's your cause owns a power that has not been seen since the days of old Valyria. Mm. There's a shot of Damon and Rhaenyra on the battlements, and they don't look so great. They look like they've had a couple of long nights. Worrying to me. They look like they experienced loss. I don't like it. I don't I don't like it. I don't it's gonna make me really sad. It's gonna be a sad ass episode. Uh three dragons leaving Dragonstone. One looks to be Rainies on Maylies, and the other looks to be Luke and Jake, possibly. Damon singing to Vermithor in Valyrian is in the trailer. So that's exciting. I thought it might be cannibal just because of all the messed up teeth, but it's a Vermithor I hear. That's what I've heard through the grapevine. Hmm. And then once more, Otto comes know. back to Dragonstone to be a little shithead. I have a, a worry, as I mentioned, that Harold might die here. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense for the way that the scene like can finally possibly end, right? To get Otto to get the fuck out. But, um, you know, I had toyed, as you know, between us, with like Harold being given like Lothar... Marbrand's role, right? Because he's been in Rhaenyra's life for so long and when Rhaenyra is like super sad about like that Kingsguard dying. But uh, I think you're right. I think that's what's going to happen with Harold. going to die at Kristen Cole's hand. It's, I mean, that's... Ugh! No! God. No! It's going to happen. Who, el- who else is Kristen Cole going to kill this season? Oh my god. The body count is high for that man. <sighs> my happiness? His body count is getting higher than Rhaenyra's. Oh, wrong body count. Sorry. I agree. The last shot of the trailer is Vagar roaring into the camera, which I personally, I'm like, you have horrible breath, Vagar. I just know it. I look at that dragon and I know it has bad breath. But so does Melee's. I was also thinking that when Melee's was roaring. Disgusting. I was like, oh God. Oh God. I bet it smells like rotten eggs. I don't know. We've probably discussed this before, but I bet it smells like rotten eggs with like all the sulfur like in Buckingham. What is tooth care like there, you know? That's actually a great point. Like, do they give like the dragons greenies you know like i don't know what you give your cats but for dogs people give them greenies and little bones and things you give greenies to your cats well i guess they have bones i guess but there's a lot of bones yeah huh or is like are they does their body run so hot that bacteria and and like doesn't take hold on their teeth it's a thought much to think about i'm i mean we're at farts we're at (laughs) dragon stink dragon farts Dragon burps, dragon mm-hmm. breath. I, I I do think it would probably be very egg smelling. You're right, eggy. Ugh, ugh. Uh, oh, dragon, dragon eggy. eggy. My God. Well, I can't wait to be doing this again, one last time. Again. Ah, ah. For the last time one next week, time. maybe we'll have a little wrap up, right? Like maybe we'll come back with some sort of wrap up for you all. So keep your ears peeled after the finale, but maybe not. Maybe not. We might just uh, kick the season finale's ass next week with you all and then move on back to Brand Stark and A Song of Ice and Fire. And we really hope that you continue to take a listen. And you don't have to start there. If you are listening to Girls Gone Canon for the first time and you've enjoyed our coverage, please leave us a review and also head back, you know, start back. You got to start back to the beginning and choose whatever POV you want to listen to. We're we're over halfway done, so there's lots to choose from. That's so wild to me to think about that, that we're all like over halfway done with the POVs. Yeah. 
But some of the longest ones are ahead of us. That's like probably still half the book series. That's for sure. That's for sure. So you'll have a lot of us. You will have a lot of us. Until then. Until then, if you want to keep up with us or like whatever we're up to, feel free to give us a follow on social media. You can find us at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon. That's C-A-N-O-N. Or you can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah. And if you're not already subscribed to us, please head over to a podcast platform that you like. As I said, rate, review us, and also follow us so you can get all of our episodes to your feed every Friday for Bran and Tuesdays for Hot D or the remainder of Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Audible, you name it, we're on all of them. And of course, you can always find us on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where not only do we have all of these episodes, we have our bonus episodes for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above. That's $5 and up. Uh, October's episode is still yet to be determined, but rest assured, it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. And you can always join in if you're in the Thunder Tier and up, 10 bucks plus two chat live in voice chat with fans about... House of the Dragon every Friday at 2 p.m. ET, hosted by our friend Maddie until the season's done, and other shows and other movies that we plan to discuss moving forward, as well as monthly events like brunch slash happy hour. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We'll see ya next week for the last one. Bye!